Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of Sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, Sporting Kansas City still hasn't played any games, and they won't for another week and a half. So we try to find other things to talk about this week, like Alan Polito's rumored contract renewal, the Kansas City Current getting fined for using a charter plane, the surprising continued entertainment of the League's Cup, and the Women's World Cup semifinal results that set up a rematch of the Euros from last summer. We're also going to spend a fair amount of time tonight discussing game models. Uh, I alluded to this last week, and I think even before we got uh, the, the last podcast we did before we had our hiatus. It's a term you hear Cody and I refer to a lot on this podcast when discussing how Sporting Kansas City plays, but can be a little bit of a nebulous descriptor if you aren't familiar with the term or what's involved in it. There is a lot more complexity involved in managing a soccer club than you probably think, and often much of the analysis available only goes an inch inch deep regarding those specificities. Without getting too droll, we'll spend some time discussing game models this week and how they're developed, what they intend to do, how and how we perceive Sporting Kansas City's to be constructed and its strengths and weaknesses. Hopefully this gives you a bit clearer picture, not only of what Sporting Kansas City is attempting to accomplish on the field, but also where there might be opportunities for improvement in personnel or tactics or perhaps both. Quick reminder about giving us feedback on the podcast. We have a Discord server invite link in the show notes. Please feel free to join in. Bring your commentary there. It really is the best way to engage with us directly on topics we discuss here, as well as give us feedback on what you like and don't like. Additionally, we have a variety of other discussion areas on the server to participate in with our listening community, various topics in and around the podcast. So please feel free to join in with the group. Cody, while we don't have any Sporting Kansas City games to watch, Premier League season did kick off this weekend, uh, this past weekend. And both of our favorite teams looked pretty decent while only achieving road draws. We also had League's Cup semifinals last night and the Women's World Cup semis the past couple of days. And after all that, I guess my main question for you is, are Liverpool going to sign a defensive midfielder or is Man, Chelsea going to steal all of them? I, I am telling you... It- if, if there's anything that proves how important uh, a defensive midfielder is, it's that it's that game between Liverpool and Chelsea because uh, that game, I mean... It, uh, there that, was no defensive midfielder I on mean, the field. It, it was just crying out for someone to, to you know, take control and win the ball and, and, and control the, the pace in the game, and, um, and that didn't happen at all. And um, it's really depressing that... <laughs> uh, the, just so the, they had so they had like r- legitimate eights, almost wide midfielders playing the six for both teams. Yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah. Connor Gallagher was playing for Chelsea, and mm-hmm. I guess you could say Gakpo was for Liverpool. No, I, no, I it, was, was, was no, it wasn't Gakpo. It was McAllister who was kind of was it McAllister? Oh yeah, well, the, but Alexis the, McAllister played left wing for Brighton. Hey man, I know. I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the midfield in that game was you know McAllister and Sobislai and uh, and Gakpo and. It's like what? A lot of vibes in that midfield. Crazy, Just try to just try to imagine Peter Vermes putting out a, a midfield of, of players like that, and uh, uh, you just can't. I can't even wrap my mind around it. It's it's uh, pretty nuts. Um, but I mean, it, it it really it really underlines uh, how important um, 
that 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 position is especially and you know that we'll get into this especially if you you know depending on on what game model that you choose and those are two sides that have very uh different ideas of how um uh, of how exactly how uh to achieve their cac tactical goals they they might have a similar uh like overall style um but they go about it i think in um uh, in different ways and um and that influences you know the kinds of players that they need and and frankly the fact that liverpool has not um been able to seal the deal on a uh on an actual d defensive midfielder uh it's pretty uh it's pretty concerning um and and um, it's, it's a pretty big, uh, miss, like from a, from a club standpoint to, to, um, to be this far into, um, into the, the, the transfer window and have really, you know, nothing to show for it at that position. Yeah. It looks like the latest reports is they might be going for Sofia Amrabat from Fiorentina, who actually, I think is probably the best fit of all those defensive midfielders for, um, for that would Liverpool. be great. Honestly. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would be okay with that. Um, I, yeah. I think he's probably like I, I like Caicedo a lot. I, I don't know much about Lavia. Um, both of them are going to Chelsea now, it appears. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure it makes much difference to discuss that much. But Amrabat, I've watched a fair bit. Again, I end up watching a lot of Fiorentina uh, because my wife is a big fan of Fiorentina after going to Florence a couple of years ago and going to a match there. She's really kind of plugged in and we have Paramount Plus. So she really plugs into those matches when she can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, our friend that went with her is, is also kind of plugged into that. So I am aware of Fiorentina probably more than most other Serie A teams and um I like Amrabat a lot I think he's a really good player and um obviously he was great at the World Cup last year for Morocco so I think that um you know I think that his playing style is probably the closest analog to Tiago which is obviously been uh, who is who has been a, a, a very good six for Liverpool for some time so I think that you know maybe that's a that's a good fit for them. Well, at um, this point, given, you had mentioned given, you had mentioned Tyler Adams, and I, I I don't know that the fit is the same, but he's definitely he's a Hoover when it comes to clearing balls. Yeah. So like and, that, and, that, and that's kind of what they need uh, at this point. You know, if, if you because if you put you know McAllister and and um, and Sobislai in front of a, a of a six, I mean the six doesn't that that'll the six doesn't have to pass a lot. You know, he shouldn't have to, and so um, that that I think clears the way for someone to just you know win balls and um and tyler adams is cheap but he's also going to uh bournemouth it looks like so uh good for him yeah i mean uh, liverpool didn't seem to be the least bit interested in him which yeah, was it's crazy strange to, to me. me yeah yeah although you know there's because because these, because frankly they don't these... they don't just need one player i mean if you right. if you sign let's say you sign amrabat you you still need somebody um uh to be a backup at that spot uh well i mean tiago's still on the roster although it doesn't well, look like for long i mean, I mean he's but, he's not i mean he's not that number six uh, he's he's a defensive right. liability and um and so you you basically have to kind of you know have some muscle in there to to allow him to be the player he can be i also think um as van dyke gets older the the defensive capabilities of that position become more and more important mm -hmm, yeah. and um so having a really defensively responsible player in that position is is probably good so maybe that's why they were so high on Caicedo. that might have been why that they were really interested in him um i will say after watching tottenham uh this weekend he's basuma oh my yeah, god he was great what a revelation yeah holy shit that guy could not you could not get the ball off him yeah and also hit some really good like entry passes and whatnot. And I'm like, 
where was this guy? And then I realized, oh, yeah, Antonio Conte, that's where yeah. this guy was. Um, yeah. uh, it was, listen, um, Spurs are going to be a chaotic team to watch this year, mm-hmm. but they're going to be entertaining, at least, yeah. right? It's not going to be boring. Um, I hope that Christian Romero doesn't have a bad concussion because I'm glad I'm glad to see the coach force him off the field, like forced him off. Because after he scored that goal, you could tell that he won right. So he had got hit in the head, you know, five minutes earlier, and then apps. I mean, the the header headed goal he scored from James Madison's free kick was a laser. Like it was hard, yeah. and you could tell that he was not right afterward. And so both, you know, both coach. both um, both Spurs and Chelsea are sort of really interesting examples to think about when you start thinking about uh, about like this game model topic and how 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 those clubs uh, approach uh, roster construction and how they approach the game differently and how you know they 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 each one of those co- the, the, of those uh, uh, clubs has had a, a, a just a steady stream of, of a revolving door at at the uh, at the manager level or at the head coach level and um, and you know every uh, practically every single one of those coaches has had a different uh, uh, idea of how the game should be played uh, but but a lot of times they're coming in and having to deal with the predecessors uh, all, the, all the players that the predecessor and the predecessor's predecessor signed and and so it makes uh, it makes for um, an awkward and clunky um, on-field product uh, because you have, um, you know, competing interests. You have players who who really fit very well uh, for one game model and and one system and style of play, and who don't fit so well uh, for another one. And I that that whole that whole concept of of uh, roster construction and aligning it to how clubs want to play uh, is really um, it's really interesting to me. Well, and not, um, you know, giving away the the bag of the later part of this podcast, but that's part of the reason why sporting has the same guy in coaching and sporting director, because he is going to sign and find he's going to bring in the players that fit his game model. Yeah. And I think when you separate those roles, you can sometimes get to these disjointed types mm-hmm. of, of situations and while I was very warmed to see Tottenham play a much more interesting and um, creative and, you know, stylistic sort of play, there were some players on the field that are not a good fit for it. Yeah. Um, the fact that Oliver Skip started instead of Joel <laughs> Hoybier should tell you everything you uh-huh. need to know about how, how bad a fit Hoybier is for this. Yeah. Because Skip was bad in yeah. this game. Just not, He's not fit for it. He just He doesn't have the passing skill to do it. Um, James Madison is obviously a very good fit for it. Yeah. Um, that has a lot to do with why they signed him after they brought on uh, Postacoglu. Um, but there's some players that are going to struggle in this system to to be effective uh, on the Spurs roster, and they're going to continue to have to make changes. And similarly with Chelsea, although Chelsea has been on a um, get younger track for a while, so mm-hmm. I think that's another reason why Pochettino is such a smart hire for them because Poch mm-hmm. is actually really good at – um, getting young players together in a system and, and keeping them motivated when he started to struggle at Spurs is as that roster started to age and got more veteran status. He, he started to not have as much influence, I think over them. Also, they just didn't really rotate a whole lot of players while he was there, even when he asked Daniel Levy to do it. Yeah. So I, I think that um, Chelsea has been really under, under Bowley and clear Lake. They have been trying to get rid of a lot of these high salary old guys and bring in a lot of younger players and um 
I think that fits very well with the coach they hired. So hopefully they've got some, they've got, they'll, they'll be consistent and sort of sticking with him over, over a couple of years, because I think that over time that will play out. You just, I, I don't know that they're going to be premier league content championship can, you know, premier league winning contenders this year, but um, you can see a process in play there. And I think the same thing for Spurs. If they can be, I, I like this. I mean, it's chaotic. It's a little bit aggressive for the Premier League, but I also sort of like it. I mean, it's fun. And um, if they start, if they can start getting the right players to fit it, I think they'll be in good shape. They need another central defender pretty badly. Van de Ven was not bad, but uh, yeah. they need another central defender. Well, and you, and you look at a team like uh, Liverpool, who um, who very recently won the Champions League, uh, and uh, they should be sort of back in the conversation. I like, I like how you throw that in there. Sorry. Every time uh, you, you know. <laughs> can possibly do it, you make sure to let me know about that one. All right. Go uh, ahead. Uh, but, but, but the thing is, is that, is that they're sort of, uh, I think, uh, a cusp team, right? They're not, um, they're not really, I think, serious contenders for top four, uh, especially right now. And they won't be until they solve that number six issue because uh, because given the way that they play, that's a very important position on the field. And and um, if they if they don't find a, a solution for it, it's n- not going to work. We've been saying this for two years about Sporting Kansas yeah, City. If you're going to play a single pivot, it's the same kind you've of thing. Got to have man. a really good fucking six. And you you got to have, 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 have two. You have to have yeah. two. You because you have yeah. to have you have to well, have a Premier League and, that's, and the Premier League. Well, and and, and in MLS, two. I mean, that's this is why you know this. In, in my opinion, this is why Sporting is not uh, was knocked out of the uh, uh, of Nations League. Or gosh, not league. I keep doing that, man. Leagues Cup. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Um, that's why they were knocked out of Leeds Cup, and I, I think that you know if uh, if uh, uh, Radia was was uh, was fit and playing, uh, I think that would have uh, um, done a uh, done a lot to make the team more competitive and and maybe raise their ceiling a little bit. Yeah, they got burned through the midfield against yeah. Toluca, and yeah, I mean this has been a this has been a problem for two years now. Of them yeah. getting overwhelmed in the midfield when they're playing a three three man midfield, mm-hmm. um, they don't have that problem when Roddy is on the field, and they they are an effective counter pressing team in the midfield, um, much more than Philadelphia was against freaking Miami. Like Jesus Christ, man! But, hey, uh, I am I am not I am I am not a conspiracy theory kind of guy, but at this point, you just I, I mean. When I watched that ball roll by uh, Messi's goal, when I watched that roll roll by. Uh, um, Andre Blake. Andre Blake. I was just like, come on, you gotta be kidding me. I mean Well, he he got Blake had a terrible game in general. He did. It, this was I this is the worst game I've seen him play. Um so we'll get to that here in a second too. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I just think that they played they played timid, which is never something you see Philadelphia do. Yeah. And that but, that but was that's, surprising. That's to me. the that's the mistake that every team has made, honestly. Dallas is is by far the team that it's, has played uh, uh, the best against Inter Miami, and they did not play timid. And um, I expected. And shouts to Nico Estevez. He just came yeah. out with his system and played it. He didn't. Yep. He didn't fuck around. He was like, "This is what we're gonna do." And Mike Coon had made a comment um, on Twitter about it. He was like worried because of how uh, how scary Miami looks in def- in transition. Um, and our transition defending once they get past the midfield line is obviously poor. And. Uh, he was like, man, this could be really bad for sporting, even with an international break, even if Messi's not available. And I was like, yeah, but sporting counter pressed pretty heavily in the midfield. Mm-hmm. They were not, uh, Philly was giving no midfield pressure whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. 
they were they were allowing guy and um both Sergio they they had a guy shading Busquets. Uh, the Gazdag was just sort of shading Busquets, but then they just left Kristoff there to just yeah. sit there and ping balls over and over again. And it's just not something that sporting lets teams do. So I think that in that perspective, it'll be a little bit different. The other thing is, you know, Peter Vermees is going to run his fucking system. There's not going to be any like, oh, we're going to sit back and let, you know, be be concerned mm-hmm. about giving, you know, letting gaps in our line or something. He's not going to do that. He's going to run the system. And that's what they're going to do. So I think from that perspective, that situation might be slightly different. Oh, they could totally get boat raced. I, I, they, it's obvious that that could happen. I mean, the so, so, remember, so the problem with, with Sporting Kansas City playing that game is is um, no matter how well you play defensively, uh, Inter-Miami is is very likely to score against you. And Sporting has shown that, that if they give up a goal, I mean – they're just so fragile that they could one goal can very easily turn into four mm-hmm. depending on how if the, if it puts them behind or not yeah um against cincinnati they were fairly resilient in that match but they never really got down in that match yeah. so that has something That's to do point. with it if they score first they give up a goal they're not so bad about it if they go down um, especially late in a game that tends mm-hmm. to be a problem speaking of sporting kansas city we we touched on this a little bit in the last podcast but there's been more I don't know. I don't know if rumors are the right word or more reporting about this. Um, Alan Polito's contract situation. Supposedly, according to the, if you listen to the rumors and the outlets that are reporting this, you know, he has agreed to this new deal and Cruz Azul and Chivas couldn't get anywhere near the salary that Sporting is offering. The one thing that I would tell you about all of these reports is that they're the same people who said that they were trying to get a transfer for Pulido in the summer um, and had agreed with Sporting Kansas City for a transfer and that Pulido was leaving in the summer. Um, all of these sources are fed information by the members of these Liga Mekis clubs. They feed them that information in order to get this stuff out there so that their fans don't get pissed off when they fail to sign somebody. I don't think... <laughs> I don't think Alan Polito is getting paid $4 million a year next year. I just don't see it happening. It sounds to me, uh, and if you read, uh, Daniel Sperry did sort of a Q&A article this week, and that was one of the topics that he discussed. Um, he's obviously got more access to the club's comms folks as well as the staff and whatnot than, than we do. It, nothing is signed. Nothing is agreed to. It sounds like there's building optimism that they will get that deal done. I'm going to be really surprised if he's doubling his salary. I just don't believe that to be true. I think that's a whole lot of horse shit that's being thrown out there into the Mexican media in order to keep their fans from getting upset that they didn't that they didn't sign the guy they, that they reported that they were going to sign. And we all know that none of those people are going to read the MLSPA salary dump next April to see what his, <laughs> what his actual salary is. So I, I think that um, a lot of this is posturing in the media more than anything else. Yeah, you can you can believe the Mexican media even less than you can believe the uh, the British media. So always with a grain of salt, man. 
And and the British media were apparently saying that Tyler Adams was injured for another four months. Did you hear the see this shit? Yeah, the Daily yeah, Mail. Yeah, yeah. They, the, his. I mean, it's his the Daily injury, Mail. His injury is way more serious than Leeds are letting on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. He's got to go through a fucking medical to do a transfer. Yeah. You think Bournemouth are going to accept him uh, uh, after he goes through the medical if they believe that he's out for another four months? No, not a chance. They desperately need a defensive midfielder too. Like they yeah. desperately need him. So no way. I mean, uh, especially so, so, in Bournemouth, so don't, is, Bournemouth don't have a ton of money to spend either. I, although that right. probably is a loan deal, not a transfer. I don't know what that is. I, that might be a loan deal. I mean, I, I've heard it reported as a transfer, but who knows? I mean, like it's like twenty it's, million pounds is his release. Like that—that's a bunch of money for Bournemouth to spend. They call it silly season for a reason. You know, it's you just hear all kinds of stuff, and and you can you can rarely believe any of it. So usually, I usually I. Uh, concern myself with people who are actually informed on these yeah. topics and it's usually yeah. people like fabrizio romano mm-hmm. although sometimes he gets fed a lot of stuff by some of the guys in the italian uh, area just because they want to manipulate it too but uh tom bogert you know those guys they generally have a pretty good read on that stuff yeah. and when it's happening taylor twelman believe it or not i know a lot of you guys aren't hugest fans of taylor but taylor's got a pretty good relationship with yep. uh, mike illig and so when stuff's going down with the team he's generally going to know Yep. Um, and so I would, I would keep an eye out for those resources because those are generally more, the most informed, um, assuming that sporting Kansas city do resign Alan Polito and he is on a DP contract. What is, what does this do for their viability going forward? Um, I, I went through this exercise and you guys may or may not remember this, but I went through this exercise Earlier this season, mm-hmm. just because the team was playing so fucking terribly. Like, this yeah. was in the middle of no wins in 13 games. Um, and I, like, looked at what their opportunities were for changes. One of the things that I had suggested was DP center forward. So if, if Polito is the DP center forward, I don't think this changes a ton about what their flexibility is. I will agree with Daniel Sperry, who also wrote in that article that not to expect a significant rebuild from this roster, because I think that barring some massive collapse over the next, how many games do they have left? Ten? Uh, eight? Eight games? How many do they play? 26, I think. So eight games. Um the, there's not going to, this team is not, the, this front office and this staff is not one to make knee-jerk changes to stuff. Um, but they do have some opportunity to make some investments in areas that with with the salary cap with some of the players going out. Um, some of that involves certain players like Tamelia leaving, Graham Zussi. Um, I, I don't know if those changes will be made. So if you throw those guys back in, that eliminates some of their flexibility. But I was really concerned about their flexibility last week when we talked about it. I looked through my spreadsheet today. It's not as bad as I thought. Um, part of it is because the cap and the GAM goes up, right? So you, you're, the the budget next year goes up like 800000 or something like that. So um, the overall budget when we add the salary cap plus all the allocation money. It goes up a fair bit, and they did get some next year allocation money for some of their international spot trades and things like that. So they are going to be in a in a in a place where they can make additions, even if they resign Gadikinda and they resign him to let's say mid level Tam, which I think he would probably do. 
um, there's st- they've still got some opportunities there. If they can keep Gotti Kinda under the TAM threshold, they could sign another DP. Um, and so that that opportunity is there. Um, it would require some some players to move out, but it, it's not as dire as I thought it was. But it's also not like Inter Miami where they just completely remade their roster in the summer. Yeah, I. And and by the way, Remy <laughs> Voltaire is Remy Voltaire has an option next year. Uh-huh. He's not in a contract year, so they can pick up his option for limited impact. So that that is a big part of that conversation. And that's probably it. Would probably be a good idea for them to do so. Um, one of the things that uh, that I've been thinking about because uh, I'm always thinking about uh, it um, in terms of, of the the roster is is the age of the roster and and Mike Coon had a tweet that that sort of summed up you know the if 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 we put out a, a healthy what we assume would be a Peter Vermes's like pr- preferred lineup um, it's it's like almost it's almost entirely people who are 30 or over. And um, I think that that's a, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting example of his approach uh, to uh, roster building and the things that the, that, uh, that the club and that Peter Vermes uh, prioritize. Uh, And it's also, um, it's also a um, sort of an interesting exploration in terms of, you know, what they think that their, what they think that their window is and, um, it's um, it's very fascinating, but it's also like very concerning to me. Um, and you know the the fact that that a lot of their uh, uh, ability to to have sort of roster flexibility is predicated on them saying goodbye to, to players. They haven't, um, I don't know, they they, they haven't really impressed uh, us on that aspect uh, recently. And so I don't know. It's, I mean, uh, it it's... typically takes a pretty bad situation for them to say goodbye. Right. So the players right. they've said goodbye right. to are Jose Mauri, Uri Rossell and yeah. uh, Ben sweat. Right? right. Those are fairly significant, like poor situations. And none of them were that significant in gaining cap space. They were very right. small cap space gains. Uh, Rossell and uh, uh, Sweat, they're both on the hook for a lot of their salary just to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, you know, Jose Maori, they were get a, able to get a mutual termination. We were still talking about 400, 450 grand. And in the grand scheme of things, when your salary budget, when you add the allocation money and the cap together is, you know, 10 plus million dollars, 400 grand is not the savings you need. You need it right. more significantly if you're going to make a substantive addition. And, um, my main concern with when I look at this is for them to create the cap space they need, two key players would have to go. Uh, Tim Melia would have to not be renewed, mm-hmm. and or not his option would have to not be picked up, and Kyrie Shelton would have to get bought out. What Those about, about Zussi? Well, Zussi's on an option year, so you'd have to just yeah, you'd have to not re- renew his option. I think that one's more likely than any of them, to be completely honest, because Jake Davis has been so good, and they know they have a real player in Caden Pierre. I think there's enough depth at right back that they could make that change. Um, I'm less positive on them making the change with Melia. Yeah. Because while Pulse Camp is fine, he's he's still not at Melia's level when it comes to shot stopping. Yeah. And shot stopping is required in this in this system. Yep. Um he's good, but he's not Melia level at shot stopping. Now Melia's gonna be another year older and you know 
reaction times are what go first when you age. Like he can be the best gym rat on earth, and trust me, Tim Ilya is. But the the quickness is what goes away as you age. So it'll be interesting to see you know how that translates. Um, and then obviously Kyrie Shelton's a Peter Vermees guy. And right. look, I like Kyrie Shelton as a person. He's a great dude. I like. I have no problem with the man. Um, I don't know if his value as a player meets their investment in him from a salary cap perspective. And um, those things would have to happen for them, for them to create this flexibility. And candidly, they have to go get another center back in the offseason. Like, it's required. Yeah. Um, well, they, we they, see that. and they, they're going to need help on the wings too, honestly. And mm-hmm. because, you know, Johnny yeah, Russell, so, Johnny Russell, uh, if they pick up his option, I mean, he's about he's a million, on a, he's on a yeah. million dollars a year and he's 33, you know. And I don't know that he's been a million dollar player this year. Now, no. part of it is because he's been injured a lot. And we said last year that this was going to happen. He, you're going to run the legs off him and he was going to be injured. And he has been. But yeah, he, he's not been as impactful this season. Um, I think, you know, there are reasons for that. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, father time comes for all of us. I'll be interested. I don't know what his option year number is. It might be lower than the million he's making this year. So maybe that makes sense at that point. He's also the captain of the team. There, there's other yeah. influencing scenarios regarding how you make that decision. I think that um, when I did this model, and again, I'm not I'm not going to go into the idiosyncrasies of this, guys. If you want to really get into salary cap stuff, Hit us on the Discord and tell me, and I'll, I'll I can break this all down for you in high detail of kind of what where this team is. Generally, I have to say generally because as Tom Bogert alluded to in an article that he did about how Inter Miami's rebuild and how they were able to accomplish it, that it's so opaque with some of the releases for, as far as allocation money and what we know teams have that you can only get a general idea of what's going on. But I can be fairly confident of what their capabilities are uh, based on the information that's out there and how I've, you know, what I know about the the rules. Um, They could spend say a million dollars on a center back salary wise, renew Gotti Kinda and bring in a young high upside right winger along the lines of Marino's Chinese, even if they had to pay like a couple million dollars for him transfer wise and still get it all under the cap figure. So, I mean, that would, that would again, there's a whole lot of dependencies related to all of these conversations, but it's possible that it could be done. Um, at the same time, leaving a DP spot open for another central midfielder. So all of that could happen, but they would have to say goodbye to Amelia. They would have to say goodbye to uh, Shelton in order to make that work. Um, I don't know that they would do that. And so in that circumstance, you can say goodbye to a lot of that stuff and we just end up running it back again. Which concerns me because they have legitimate needs in some of these positions. They need a backup six that isn't Remy Voltaire, honestly. Yeah, they really do. I, mean, I, would, running... I, would like to, I would like to see them, maybe it's not a DP, maybe you flip those. Maybe you get a DP winger and you get a young, high upside central midfielder on a low transfer fee that's you know, yeah. 21-22. You know what I mean? Um, that can that can go behind Radia, and now we're not asking Remy Voltaire to play there every time that Radia's hurt. I mean, frankly, between between the way that the team played last 
season and the, the way the team has played this season, uh, there's there's very little reason to run it back. Uh, I feel like sometimes um, I feel like sometimes they're look you know the club and and uh, Peter Vermes are looking and some fans are looking at things through kind of you know rose colored glasses and and um, and you know maybe maybe thinking um, that the team. Uh, is better than they've than they've shown. And I, I'm guilty of that. You know, I, I at one point I called I called their uh, attack potentially elite, and that was like a couple of weeks ago. You know, and and um, I think that 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 potential might exist, but the fact it, it, if it's never realized, um, then there's not really a point. And um, and so I think that we really, um, as fans, we really have to hope that that that. Um, some significant changes are made, uh, and that we do have some some roster churn because the team needs it needs new energy, it needs some new blood, uh, it needs uh, it needs some um, you know some some more quality depth uh, than it than it has, and uh, hopefully they can get that accomplished in uh, in the off season. Yeah, I um, I hope so too. I, I think this is the one the one problem you have when you have a very consistent group of individuals, both on players and staff, is that you can start, you know, getting high on your own supply. To mm. say to to use mm-hmm. to use that phrase where you're so you 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 see in prat you it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. You see in practice all the things that you put together, and you see them doing the things, and you just believe like, okay, when yeah. everybody's healthy, it's going to yeah. be fine. And then, and then you come this out is, against you come is, out against Chivas, and and you look like that team, and you're but, like, holy shit, that's us. We can do that. That's us. Uh, and, this is us, and this yeah. can be us every game. Right. And you don't recognize that. First of all, it's a fucking 34 game soccer season that's played mm-hmm. through the summer in the United States. Everybody's not going to be healthy all the time. That's yeah. just not possible. Okay, so that so what what is your backup plan when three guys are hurt or fatigued or whatever? Or in the case yeah. in the case of sporting last season, five or six guys. You know what I mean? I, I think that too often excuses are made because we don't have the perfect situation. But when we have the perfect situation, I can see it. And I'm like, that is not how professional <laughs> soccer clubs are organized. If you go, if you go to the Premier League, now granted, I understand their salary rules are different, but look at the best teams in MLS. They can plug in random people into their lineup and still be <laughs> successful. Right. Well, right? sporting, it, it, uh, sporting can too. I mean, frankly, uh, they just don't. Right. I mean, they 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 well, they, okay, they look, randomly they, plugged in Jake Davis, and he turned out to be great. But yeah, but yeah. that's the only. But that's they they've randomly plugged in some other players <laughs> and failed pretty significantly. Yeah. And part of it is because not everyone is Jake Davis and is capable of adjusting in that manner. And they haven't done a very good job, in my opinion, of preparing those types of players for playing alternate roles. They sort of throw them out there and see what they can do, but I don't know that they're necessarily as adept or prepared. And, and maybe this is more of an academy and 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 development problem. We've discussed that several times on this podcast. Um, I, I'm not sure what the exact answer is, but the reality is, I watch the best teams in this league bring on fucking Nashville brings on Jacob Schaffelberg, and he brings a bunch to them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the um. 
So who's so the freaking center? Who's, who's the forward for LAFC? The young, the 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 homegrown forward that they have that oh, um, yeah. has, has scored in their last game, and and he he's looked because he's playing with Carl with, with Denis Buanga, and it wasn't Vela. Vela was injured. Uh, who's the other guy? But, but because he was playing amongst those high quality players around him, he was able to be successful. Look at fucking um, God damn it! I, I can't remember anybody's name right now. Um, that's that's Robert my Taylor. that's my game. Yeah, you can't. Do Robert that. Taylor. That's, look at look uh, at what Robert Taylor has become in Miami. <laughs> this is like a guy that they pulled off the trash heap in Finland, yeah, and has become like one of the best forwards in MLS. All of a sudden, once he's around good players, and and that's what that's what I'm saying is like I just don't I don't see that I don't see the high value structure around the players who are mediocre or just a but you know they're they're good enough to be starters in mls but they're not Lionel messi right i don't they we don't have we're not creating scenarios where those people can be successful and i think that that that's the part that i struggle with for the most part is that we have to have a bunch of 29 plus year olds all in the lineup at once with a bunch of game experience in order for the team to be successful and I just that's not long term. That's not that's not long term viable, and it's not viable over a thirty four game season. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, a, I, got, it, I, it, I get grumpy. How do we? Why do we always get so grumpy? I don't know. Well, because we talk about this, and this is it's frustrating, you know. It, and I think that one of the one of the things is is that um, is that, <laughs> and I feel like a broken record because I'm always saying this stuff is is that um, the team that has not paid attention, um, hasn't really addressed, you know, sort of the most important areas of the field, you know, and, um, and well, if you think about it, that it's, you know, the, the spine, the, and if you consider that to be the center backs and the number six and center forward, um, the, 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 the team has been, uh, mostly reactive in the way that it's sort of dealt with those problems. Uh, and that, you know, the, the, the waited until the mid, mid summer. And they still have major issues. Willie Right. Yeah. But they still have major issues in their spine, even if the center forward position, in my opinion, it is is fine. If they re-sign Polito and they have Willie Agata, they pick up his option, which they obviously will. They're they're good up there. Right. They have a starting six. They don't have a backup six and they run an extremely high line and have two center backs that are chaotic well what no hold on they have one chaotic center back and they have another who can't defend transition and they play a high line yeah and it doesn't make sense (laughs) once you get beyond center forward they're okay if one guy's there and at the six they're totally fucked if he's not and that's the part that i'm just like i understand the constraints of the salary cap i really do but when we get into game model we'll discuss how like yeah you need to have a model but also you need to have contingency plans. Well, you, you need to have a model that's flexible and you need to have a model that accounts for the realities of uh, the 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 country you you're, you play in, the opponents you play against, the uh, the salary cap uh, restrictions, that your own your own home area player pool, your game model needs to needs to account for all of those things. And I think that uh, in, in, in major ways, the the game model that Sporting Kansas City has put together, um, it misses on some of those things. 
They yeah. don't. They don't. They don't address. They don't address those um, those areas of the game models in ways that, uh, to me, as an as an outsider um, and a fan, they don't address the, the them in a way that makes sense to me. That uh, makes me confident that they know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, I think they do for the top thirteen players on the roster. I don't think they do beyond that, which is wild because the I, see, I don't, zero, e- I don't even, I don't even agree spots. with that because because it took them this long to get Nemanja Radia uh, signed uh, and. Um, well, no, no, no. I mean the have, current have... the current tops thirteen players in the roster. Okay, I mean, I think, I mean, I think if Radia is in the game for the most part, their game model works, but yeah. he has to basically be Remy Voltaire and play thirty five hundred minutes in, right. in order for that to function and. As we've seen and, from and Radia, he wasn't on the team last year. He can't play thirty five hundred minutes, and yeah. he can't play ninety minutes a game, and so that's a that's a failure as well, yeah. right? That's just a complete misunderstanding of the of the player that you have and their capability to do what you need them to do. Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Um, last thing I want to cover up in the news because um, it just it just irked me in the wrong way. Kansas <laughs> City Current gets fined fifty five thousand dollars for using a charter plane to go play Louisville. Um, they were, they were fined because I guess there's like stuff that's not published in the collective bar or not even the bargaining agreement, but in the operating rules of the clubs where they're only allowed to use a charter plane. If, um, what is it? it it's like, I don't remember. Meg Linehan wrote an article on this and there's a lot of stuff that's like nebulous and like sort of being told that that's not supposed to be published because it's all unpublished rules. But they didn't meet some sort of emergency need circumstance in order to do it. By the way, there are no direct flights from Kansas City to Louisville. They don't exist. So you're talking about doing a layover for a trip that is like 600 miles. And they were going to have to layover, I think, through like Salt Lake or some bullshit like that in order to get there. And they were on their third road game in a row. And I think, yeah, the the emergency requirement meant that it had to be a midweek match. Because it wasn't a midweek match, they weren't, like, going from, you know, Saturday to Wednesday or Wednesday to Saturday or Sunday. That they weren't allowed to do this. I'm just like, NWSL, like, get out of your own fucking way, would you? Like, we 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 can see by watching the Women's World Cup this year that your league is falling behind. Yeah. All of the best players in this Women's World Cup and the ones that are playing at the highest level play in Europe. They play for Chelsea. They play for Barcelona. They play for Manchester City. They play for Lyon. They play for Bayern Munich. Like that's that's where these great national teams are are coming from. Their main players are coming from. And it's because those clubs don't fuck around with a salary cap or you know, what, what, uh, uh, can we use a charter plane or not? The other thing I would say about this, like people, I, I, I think that the way that they use, they use the word charter plane is also sort of meant to like help create some sort of discourse regarding, oh, we need a fancy plane to fly on. Let me tell you something. And I'm going to, let me, I got to figure out the best way to not humble brag about this. That charter plane ain't that nice. Okay. It's not like they're like we hear the word charter plane. You and I hear the word charter plane and we think that they are on some like private jet with like lounge chairs and beds in it. Yeah, but it's like succession, you know, it's uh... exactly, exactly. (laughs) That's what you think. 
you're chilling with the Roy's. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not dying in the bathroom while getting a blowjob. Um, <laughs> sorry, did I did I spoil how the last season went? Anyway, um, you're chilling with the Roy's on a on a on a on a PJ, like just like fancy, like fancy and out, right? That is not what's happening here. Okay, they get on what amounts to a Southwest Airlines 737. And there's 50 people on it. And yeah, you get your own row. Okay, fine. But you're not like chilling in some first class seat. And you know, stewardess is bringing you hot towels and all this other nonsense. You roll up there, the freaking uh, uh, athletic, the, the, the nutritionist gives you a bag full of shit that you're allowed to eat with like turkey jerky and some nuts and stuff like that. And you go hang out in the back of the plane and you attempt to rest and they give you a blanket and a pillow and you try to rest across three bench seats of a of a not that fantastic plane uh you know seating situation so it's not like they're in some fancy shit there's actually a picture of Lionel messi on one of these flights and yeah, so that's I saw that. like yeah and i can tell you from um personal uh experience that is what it looks like it's it's just like you're in this like bullshit all economy plane just you know you just see it's your own road to yourself it's not anything fancy or spectacular and so, and, and the reporting in the article was that the cost of this, of the chartering this plane was like 10% more than it was to pay for the tickets. And so they just did it because like, why wouldn't you for health, for health and yeah, for the health and welfare of your team, you, you, you take them out of like a full day of travel with layovers and all this nonsense and rolling through a damn airport, like several airports, like, come on. I just like there's just some stuff that NDSL does like they're operating like MLS 1.0. Yeah. And there's they're, they're meant to be the premier league of women's mm-hmm. soccer and they don't function like it at all. And yeah. I think now part of it is because they were in serious financial trouble like three or four years ago. So I sort of understand it. You don't want it's just like MLS was in 2008, 2009. And they were very careful about how they increased spending after that because they didn't want to fold as a league. Yeah. And. There's a lot of history of women's professional soccer leagues in the United States folding after a couple of years. So I understand that. But I think you can also recognize that you most of the owners, at least of the top half of these of these, uh, you know, the top half. I shouldn't say the top half in the results because the current are dead last right now. But the top half of net worth of the owners in this league are multi-billionaires. Okay. We need to, like, let them. And a lot, and a lot of them don't do mind spending shit. money. No, I mean, they don't mind spending money on stuff like a freaking chartered plane. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, like the difference in cost between buying commercial airline tickets and all the cost of checked baggage and all that. Yeah. Like, can you imagine what it's like? Like, I saw this. I, I when I when I flew from um, from Christchurch back to Auckland for the, the last USA match in New Zealand, we landed right at the same time that the New Zealand team landed um, after they had just lost their, they had just got knocked out of um, in their last group stage match, and I think they were playing in Dunedin, and they their plane arrived like ten minutes before ours was on the same baggage claim, and like all the New Zealand players just chilling at the baggage claim next to me while Allie Riley was getting interviewed by the the news uh, in the terminal, right? And like I'm just like what. You play for the national team. You're just over here, like dragging all, all five of your giant ass bags off the off the off the baggage claim. Like, come on, man. Like, there's there's just better ways to do this stuff. And the, the thing um, that the thing that's frustrating about about the NWSL, but also 
uh, about MLS, especially at this like at this time and place in in the timeline of soccer in America, is that is that you have uh, sort of a, a broad base of success, but you also have owners who want to spend, and you have owners who want to spend in a way that actually. Um, pushes the league forward um, improves not, the quality of the league it, and it's right? and it's and, and 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 it's and it's uh, matches like make the team much more ready to play soccer yep. so that they're instead better. you're like no we're gonna pass we're not gonna do that i mean arthur Blank wants to spend you know he wants to he he wants he's he he wants to not have the all the salary cap restrictions guaranteed and and yet you know here and we it's are. not just arthur blank it's right. uh, joe, joe yep. mansueto in chicago yep who just took, you know, took over the Chicago fire a while ago. I promise you Cliff Illig doesn't have a problem spending money. Okay. Like that guy. Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a different situation. Okay. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta digress on this for a second. Cause this oh, became no. a conversation on Twitter <laughs> last night about, Oh, well, you know, we're, we're I, very I aggressive for it. Ronaldo. And that was, uh, it was Matt Demline. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have a go at Matt because I think he, he had a lot of, he was grumpy last night. So, you know, we all get grumpy sometimes. It <laughs> shit happens. I'm not having a go at him. And, and we we talked it out over direct message. It's not like I, I, I'm not. I know he wasn't. I, I knows I wasn't having a go at him. And I'm not mad at him for any reason. But I do think that there's this discourse around, OK, like MLS let Miami do whatever they wanted because they wanted to bring in Messi. And don't get me wrong. They did some shit to make sure Messi came to the league. Of course you do, because it's fucking Lionel Messi. You do things like get Apple and Adidas involved to get this fucking contract over the line. So, like, yeah, I get that part of it. But when it comes to the structure of the salary cap, with the exception of Jordi Alba, I, I don't know how you how you get Jordi Alba on a TAM contract. That sounds a whole lot like Zlatan on a TAM. But um, I mean, it's the, probably it's probably the same thing. It's it, it's. It's the club playing him, paying him so much, but then you know other. Uh, well, but that's how that's how Miami got in trouble. They're under, they're still under sanctions for doing this with right. Blaise Matuidi. So I don't know that they would. And they've got a different sporting director now. I think that they would be really careful about doing something like that at this point. Maybe not. I don't know, but I feel like they would be careful. And that owner that was part of that whole conversation that did that whole deal mm -hmm. with Matuidi is no longer part of the Miami ownership group. So I maybe, think maybe Messi's just just paying. Jordi Alba. <laughs> well, Jordi Alba had a bunch of deferred salary from Barcelona because they were so such bad place financially that he was owed not just his salary, but like another $15 million from Barcelona this year that they were paying out this season um, after they released him from his contract. So that might be why he was willing to accept a certain amount of, sure. of value from them this year. But regardless, um, the whole Ronaldo thing, I just I feel like a whole lot of people are just like not believing that that was real. And I, I think that the one thing that you're not recognizing is from a business perspective, they could, you can invest 60 million, 70 million in Ronaldo and do a similar sort of branding deal that they did with Messi mm -hmm. because the marketing value of that guy is so high. Mm -hmm. You and I obviously are not fans of this dude as a, on a human level. Like I could, you know, I don't want him playing for my club. I really yeah. don't. But from a commercial perspective, he is worth a shitload of money. Sure he is. And so financially, from a business perspective, you can validate making an investment of tens of millions of dollars in his salary and branding deals and things of that mm -hmm. and potential equity in the club and all this other kind of stuff. You can do all those things because you're going to get that returned. 
yeah in in uh ticket sales and rosters and and jersey sales and all the other branding related things that come with it Inter miami i don't know if, how much you guys have how, how much you're aware of this or the the listeners are aware of this they have like a flexible ticket cost structure where they can literally like any tickets that are available to non-season ticket member holders they'll they they um they can adjust the price based yeah. on demand and they've been doing it heavily since Messi has come on board and they're you know they're able to actually reap the rewards a lot of people think that you know Messi and the cost of tickets for those stuff it's all in the resale market it's not related to the clubs that's bullshit a lot of these clubs actually have the ability to charge whatever they want for tickets that have not been sold to season ticket member holders and i can promise you even in especially in actually not even in especially in those fancy luxury areas that there's stuff written into their contracts that they've had to sign that says they can raise the value depending on business need. Yeah. Right. So, um, there, there's all kinds of ways for them to recoup revenue in those situations that make an investment in a Messi or Ronaldo viable. And I think that a lot of people are maybe not as aware of that. Now they're like, well, why aren't we doing this for other players? If we're willing to spend all this money on Ronaldo, why aren't we? Well, Candidly, those are the only two players that provide that level of return on investment. Right. I mean, maybe, the maybe, only ones maybe that have Neymar. that ROI. I don't even think Neymar. I don't think Neymar has the level of ROI that that, that Ronaldo does. Um, I, I really don't. I, no, I, think, I, I would agree with you, but I think... Do we have enough of a Brazilian community for that to be worthwhile in Kansas I mean, it would, City? It would, have to be, it would have to be... No, it would, not in Kansas City. I mean, it would have to be in, in, uh, in Florida, uh, more than likely, to really uh, make use yeah. of that. And, and Messi's already there, right? Are you, are we and, really, and Saudi Arabia is really, paying Neymar... Yeah, Saudi Arabia is paying Neymar Orlando. like six... Yeah. Orlando, well, Saudi Arabia... Well, yeah. Kaká was actually very successful in Orlando, and they seemed to like him a lot there. So yep. maybe, maybe that would be viable, but... Like the this team in Saudi Arabia is paying him like sixty million euros a year. It's insane. Like if you're gonna offer like, and I think that he would come to the states for less money than that. I think Ronaldo's deal that you know was not taken with Sporting was obviously less than the two hundred million or whatever he's supposedly making in Saudi Arabia. Um, but I don't think that the return on investment is there. Yeah in the same way that it is for Ronaldo. So I think that's why you're not seeing Kareem Benzema or Neymar or mm -hmm. any of these other players that, that are being mentioned, Antoine Griezmann. There's a variety of them that are out there that are on the wrong side of 30 that may be potentially looking for a move and are like, well, if we're willing to sign Ronaldo, why won't we sign these guys? Those situations are not comparable. It's yeah. apples and oranges. It's totally different. And I think that that's something that just everybody needs to be aware of because it doesn't it doesn't mean that this this ownership group isn't willing to take a swing. It just means that they can't it can't be just dumping fifty million dollars in the toilet, right? It has to be it has to have some sort of business sense. Yeah. And those there's really only two players that have that level of business capability business driving capability right now. Well, um, they do, the they ones, do because they're they're two of the best players ever, like period ever. Yep. In the history of the game. And there are other players who and are, very, not who are very good now. No, he's not. That. I, I like I like I like Neymar. I, I yeah. but uh, actually I don't like Neymar. I, I don't like I, if he play for us. <laughs> I, I, I really like you, you, as many as, as many times as people get kicked in MLS. He'd be on the ground for half the match. So I but regardless, like, you know, there was this whole conversation. Would Killian Mbappe come to MLS? No, no, he's not coming to MLS. That's total horseshit. 
And and also all these rumors keep coming about like Neymar. They were like, oh, he, he has an offer from MLS. Fab, do you have any understanding of how the MLS transfer window works? Because apparently not, because Neymar was under contract with PSG. The Saudi club paid like a hundred million dollars, a hundred million euros to him to buy his contract. The fucking MLS transfer window is closed. They right. can't do that. do that. Yeah. And the only reason that they were able to sign Messi is because he was on a free. They're not yep. gonna so like there's just a lot of this stuff that's out there in the system, and I just don't want you guys to get sucked into it too much because I feel like that's what it's meant to do is to create this intrigue and go, oh, sporting's not doing anything. There is a leg- there is a legitimate level of um, criticism that can be applied to how Sporting Kansas City built its roster and the fact that they had zero flexibility this summer. That I can get completely on board with. I can totally agree with you in that and that here we are in the summer, things aren't working the way we want to, and there's limited opportunity to make adjustments. Totally agree with that. Saying that we're not um, capable or willing to make the types of changes that, that Miami's doing, I think is a false flag. I don't think that's true. And I, I think that um, there's hopefully opportunity in the in the winter for them to do that. Now, will they be extremely conservative and not do that? Sure. Maybe that's maybe that's the case. Maybe they're only willing to make those types of swings when they're Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know. Um, but I mean, there's the, the, making that swing. That, that's like that's a sure bet. Not honestly, a, yeah. I mean, but, bringing in Ronaldo or Messi is, is as sure a bet as you could possibly get. And and after that, everything else is is a lot more murky. My point is saying that Sporting Kansas City is not willing to invest in its team. I think is a unfair statement, personally. I don't think that's true. Um, what I do think is true is that their roster building was ill-advised. Yeah, I think I think that their investment strategy um, is different from a lot of teams. Uh, purposefully, I think that they tried to uh, to purposefully go uh, with as many sort of you know mid-level max contracts as they could, and 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 with experienced veteran players um, and. Uh, with the intention that 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 would you know make them a competitive team and in, in, in a sense in a way that other teams in MLS uh, weren't competitive, but I think that uh, um, the either I think that strategy either, has passed either, them by. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, think that's the thing. I think it's fair. Yep. I think it, I think I think two years ago that yeah. strategy was actually really good. Yeah. Using TAM to your advantage, using your U twenty two slots again. I think that they made decisions in kind of a weird way with the U22 slots, but they used them. They went out and they paid transfer fees for these folks. They paid a big transfer fee for a center forward. They brought in a bunch of, you know, high level TAM contracts because that's what the new salary cap allowed you to do. And as it grows, it made it easier for you to have more of these million dollar a year players on your squad. And you really focused on that area, the middle to the, 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 you got, you know, used your DPs as really high paid players and then used, um, the rest of the roster you tried to fill out with like million dollar a year players. And so you right. sort of set the mean at a pretty high level, right? Absolutely. Like that yep. was, yep. and structurally, I think that makes sense. The problem we're running into now is you're starting to see stuff like Miami where they have three world-class players. Yep. Josef Martinez playing next to three world-class players and looking like the guy that Atlanta United signed, you know, five years ago. And it's making it's 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 a different dynamic and this is what toronto tried to do and failed so i'm not saying it's the i'm not saying it's guaranteed 
there's only one Lionel Messi out there. And he's the only one that's going to draw Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba on a TAM deal and all the other kind of things that are happening and the supposed conversations around um, who else was supposedly, oh, Griezmann was supposedly trying to wanting to come join Messi in Miami, um, which they can't do. But I, I do think that it is changing people's calculus as to how you use the salary cap. I think what it's also doing, and you heard this in the post-game press conference against uh, uh, for Philly after the Miami match, and it's rumored to have been a big topic of discussion during the governor's board meeting at the All-Star game, is starting to take some of the the chains off of the salary cap structure. Yeah. Um, because now you have a situation where if a team lands a DP like Messi, it it totally screws everybody else's ability to be competitive. Right. Because they have someone who is so much better than everyone else. I mean, candidly, he's just so much better than they are. It's just... It's very simple to see. And um, so I, I, that was the other question I had for sporting going forward. In the offseason, do these rules change a little bit that have some impact on how they're able to invest? And if if they do, that could be a positive for sporting because they're, they're not like super hamstrung, but it's not like they would have to decline a bunch of options on players that know the system and are good at it and completely go into a rebuild process. And I just don't see that being a philosophy of this staff, technical no. or sporting or the ownership, right? Like, I just don't see that being their their mindset. So maybe that gives them a little more space to be aggressive um, with some of their signings in the offseason. We'll have to see. You know, the, the thing with MLS is that, uh, is that now, like, like Saudi Arabia changes the calculus of things right because now um, not only uh, not only is sporting competing with the top five leagues for signing those uh, those high level dp known quantity type players the, the household names uh, but now they have to compete with saudi arabia as well and um and i think that um that because of that i think that uh, if if nothing else, like the the combination of Messi and Saudi Arabia, hopefully is enough to 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 inspire some changes in the way that the salary cap works. I would like to see more Honey Mukhtars. I don't think you necessarily yeah. need to go after. I agree. Kareem Kareem Benzema and um, Antoine Griezmann and Neymar and these kind of guys. Where I I just think. Saudi Arabia is able to pay so much more because they don't have to deal with financial fair play. They don't yep. have to deal with yep. any of you're, those kinds of things. You're not going to be able to compete with them. And just you're not going to be able to compete. Terms. The PIF has way more money than you do. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. They just do. So you're going to be in a situation where you're not competitive in those situations. But where you can be competitive is with the type the type of player that Hani Mukhtar yeah. is, right? And why yeah. hasn't Nashville yeah. re-signed him for like seven, eight million dollars a year? Like Mukhtar, what the fuck are you doing? N- Renoso, Bowanga. I mean, these mm-hmm. are the these are the type of players that are super sick. They they can be dominant in the league, uh, but aren't really at that that at that elite household name level. But you can get them for yeah. five, six, seven million dollars yeah. a year in salary. Um, I, like, again, I, this is what Toronto tried to do and sort of failed because they didn't have the whole roster construction, right. And, and I think they still can be better at, um, Bernardeschi is still a fantastic soccer player. Yeah. Um, 
geez, who's the guy for Napoli that they signed the winger? Um, Insigne. Insigne, fantastic soccer player. Although Insigne was on the wrong side of 30 when he joined Miami, mm-hmm. similar to Bernadeschi. So I think Bernadeschi's, that, Bernadeschi's younger. Is he? Was he in yeah. his late 20s at uh-huh. Juve when he yeah, left? I think, okay. I think he's 28. Yeah. Um, but still, like those are the kind of guys that that you, you can go after that the Saudi league isn't necessarily going to be that interested in spending 60 million euros on because they want names. Right. So you can find those types of players. And that's where I think this team should focus or this league should focus because Jesus Christ, Hani Mukhtar, what a player, what yeah. a player, man. Great player. And, and, and you can, um, the Sebastian Giovinco, when he came over here, like you can find those kind of guys that if you're willing to spend, that can really change the calculus of your team's capabilities. Reynoso is mm-hmm. a fantastic one. Minnesota is so much better since he's returned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and guys like Bungie Huangwane are all of a sudden way better now that Reynoso has returned. So, um, Carlos Vela, I think is a prime, Denis Buanga is a prime example of this. Like you can get these players that are, exceptionally gifted but aren't necessarily the household uh names that um the saudi league is invested in and and still grow the league and the quality of the league overall i mean saudi arabia as far as there's a business competitive situation i don't think there's a league quality competitive situation because it's only like four teams that are buying these players the rest of that league blows um but it is a business problem, right? You're, you're not going to be able to attract these 31, 32 year old guys who can't get 25 million a year from their clubs anymore. Um, and so then you're going to need to really focus like Jerdan Shakiri absolutely goes to Saudi Arabia three years ago. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, he does not go to Chicago. So like those, and now granted you could debate whether that signing was really good for Chicago, but the reality is, that that type of player is not going to be available to MLS clubs, and that's okay because I think that it, it it gets you to focus on high quality players that are maybe just in the wrong situation that will come to MLS um, given the right investment. Yeah, I totally agree. And and the the thing about those uh, sort of uh, mid level. Uh, I don't know. It's, it feels weird calling them mid-level DPs, but it's sort of the the MLS quality DPs who aren't uh, international superstars. Um, so, so the international superstars are, as you mentioned, them. Those are the those are the names that Saudi Arabia is going to be interested in, um, and those those players come from the the top five leagues, and honestly, probably only the top three leagues in in the world. There's lots well, of even, other soccer I mean, leagues. It, it's not that it's just the top five leagues. It's the top three to four teams of those top five right, leagues, right? right? It's the top 12 le- teams or clubs in the yep. world is where those guys come from. That leaves and, lots of lots and lots of soccer players for MLS to go after. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, so, and, and that's what Premier League teams do. Yep. Candidly, they bring in 24 to 25 year old high quality players that come from some of those teams that aren't necessarily Bayern Munich, right? Dominic Schobeschlei has been a fantastic player for a couple years at uh, RB Leipzig prior to coming to Liverpool. Um, these are players at Moises Caicedo, right? It was at Brighton and, and tearing it up for Brighton. Same thing with Alexis. They McAllister. said he almost signed uh, for MLS uh, like three, three or four years. Moises ago. Caicedo, yeah, before were, he went to Brighton. Were, yeah. Yeah. Before he went to Brighton, he almost signed for an MLS team. Like, so there's a separate part of this where it's like getting them before they go to the Premier yeah. League. Uh, uh-huh. like, like I said, um, 
Aliz Vallejo that, that just signed for Tottenham, like players like that that are in South America, this this league needs to do a much better job of scouting South American like youth talent. That was what the whole U22 thing was supposed to be. I almost feel like they should change the U22, U23, if you're asking me. Like, I think that that gives us just a little bit more space for them as far as how they how they identify and sign these players, and they can do it with limited salary uh, cap impact. But still, yeah, there's there's opportunities for MLS teams to invest heavily in high-quality players outside of the ones that the Saudi League is going after and to make their teams better. I think that's the point that we're making. Yep. But... If you're going to sign those players, they have to be consistent with your game model. Like that segue? Like how I did that? Uh, pretty good. I could be like a sports radio guy, maybe. No, I couldn't. I really couldn't. I'd say fuck way too much to be on sports radio. Um, but Tactical Corner this week is going to be focused on building a game model. I've been alluding to this for over a month now. I was um, part of a, a pretty fun conversation with Bobby Warshaw and a couple um, folks that were actually on the analytics side of a couple MLS clubs that uh, regarding, you know, how you build a game model, what are the tenets of it, how it works, et cetera, et cetera. And it was fascinating to me because I'm obviously a giant nerd that goes down deep when it comes to um, how, MLS, how, how clubs are constructed, how they play the details of what they're trying to do, what makes them successful, et cetera, et cetera. So you hear us talk about game models a lot. We talk about this, the sporting game model and the fact that actually at the game model level, I don't have a whole lot of qualms with what Vermees wants to do. He's, um, he's fairly progressive. He's fairly aggressive. This is not, this is not some boring ass shit like watching uh, the U S women's national team over the last couple weeks. This is, he, he does want the team to do fun and interesting things. Um, there's a separate part of this related to building a roster that effectively executes the game model that well, we can we can allude to when we talk about this, as well as, um, you know, we've alluded to a billion times on this podcast. But the game model itself, when it comes to sporting, I don't have a ton of issues with, except related to how it works with the personnel they have. But Oftentimes you think of a game model and, and especially as how we discuss it on this podcast, how you hear technical conversations discussed on multiple other podcasts. So much of it is often based in like style of play, right? Where you're talking about, okay, here's what's your formation. Here's your spine with your center backs, your six and your center forward. Here's, you know, your build out shape and your, um, and your defensive shape and mid block, high block, low block. Those are all parts of the game model but they aren't specifically the game model. A formation is not your game model. Uh, your game model, first off, starts with an identity, a, 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 a playing identity, right? So like, what is it that you want to be as a team? Usually this, these are adjectives, right? These are, not, these are not specific. They're not drilled into some sort of like tactical philosophy. These are an adjective that describes you uh, you hear Vermees talk a lot about the four key um, principles of Sporting Kansas City, and it's like teamwork, intelligence, things along those. That's your playing identity. That's what, and they've got them written on the wall in the training center. Like if you've ever been in uh, Pinnacle before, and they do tours of it sometimes, and I'm sure a lot of us season ticket member holders have been there sometimes when they do the the, the season the STM tour of, they're like literally written on the wall as you walk down the steps to go into the locker room areas before you get ready to go practice, like what those four 
identities are for the club. Um, but they're typically adjectives. You know, you can be creative, industrious, exciting, right? Like that's how you describe a playing identity. What is it meant to be? What are you trying to look like to the external observer as a team? So I think that even even within that, I think that there um, there can be a little more nuance. So so p- part of what uh, you were referring to uh, could be considered culture. Uh, so the so the culture of a team is definitely part of the game model, and and um, uh, and I think that that is one uh, area that uh, Sporting Kansas City has really excelled in, um, uh, and I think that that's by design. Um, Peter Burmese places a, a a lot of emphasis on uh, on culture, um, and I, I think that that's why um, when when players aren't working or when they're not happy here, they disappear, right? <laughs> and and it's usually uh, it's usually quiet. Uh, that's part of the culture of the team. That's um, and that that. Um, that sort of team first uh, and club first mentality um, is absolutely part of Sporting Kansas City's game model. Team first is one of the four on their playing identity chart, right? Like that you hit the nail on the head. That's absolutely part of what they do. Um, But again, this is sort of an ideal of what you want to exude as as you're playing. Like what is your identity? So again, it's much less about tactical decisions and where certain players are in the field and what my formation is and how do I how do I deal with uh, defending in uh, defending in transition and all the other kind of things that we that we look at. It's more about again, it's an identity. It's like who are we? So that that's the first part of building a game model. Then you kind of move into the style of play or your principles of play, as our as our friend Greg Berhalter likes to use, right? Like. What are your key philosophies for how you are going to play soccer? And again, we're not going to get into the tactics here. It's more like, what things do we always do? What things do we always embody when we're on the field, right? What, what, do, you um, pri- what do you prioritize? As, exactly. As... They're perfect. Perfect. Perfect style. Yeah, perfect, perfect uh, description there, Cody. What, it, what do you prioritize on the field? These could be a variety of different things. And some of these are not Sporting Kansas City specific, but you'll notice them from other teams. Um, always sprint or don't run. Like, like what, what, who does that all the time? Leeds. Leeds United. Sprint to everything. Run. Hairbrain. Hair on your fire. Red Bull does this a lot. Like we talk about energy drink soccer. You're always going full speed into everything. Um Attacking transitions. Are you aggressive about how you attack transitions? Um, LAFC is a prime example of this. They aggressively go after transition moments, like really, really hard. Um, the Japan now, women's now, national team. Now they do. And I think that that's like, yeah. so So that's a, that's that's important. It's that the game model changed when Chirundolo. Not Bob over, Bradley. They didn't. Right? No, nope. no. That was but not Chirundolo, they do. Right, Bob's was much more of a sort of you know possession position positional play, more in the line of of Peter Vermes uh, and Chirundolo, um, You know, probably because he 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 spent a lot of time in Germany, uh, is more of a transition. Uh, he prioritizes transition moments more than possession. I mean, they invented gig and pressing, so I mean, you know, yeah. I, I get it, right? <laughs> like that, that's that's that it was is created to. And we'll get to this a little bit later about counter pressing and creating turnovers in high leverage areas, but that is a 
prime proponent of what they do. But attacking transition is hard. Another one that does it really well, if you watch the Japan women's national team um, in this World Cup, unbelievably aggressive in attacking transitions and having really well-established kill patterns for doing so. We'll get to that again when we talked about the tactical and the, the, the phases of play and how you use them. But again, these are more just like styles of play, principles of play. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, some teams are like, just do what we do. If you make a mistake, fuck it. It happens. Like, sometimes that happens. Mistakes are okay. We're going to be aggressive in what we do. Some other teams are much more conservative. Antonio Conte, Jose Mourinho. These are, these are um, styles of play that are much more conservative in their approach. Um, and that leads into a lot of their how their approaches are to the different phases of play and how they set their team up in those phases, right? So you have to have an identity. You have to have a style. And then you get into the phases of play and how you approach them. We've talked about phases of play so, on this so podcast can I, can before. I interject very quickly? Because I, yeah. I don't want you to leave uh, sort of style and principles of play quite yet. Um, so so when you talk about style of play, I mean, that 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 is where um that is where really you focus on tactics like how you know you have your priorities and, and your objectives how are you going to uh, accomplish those things and when you know i think that when when we talk about style of play that's when we start to like bring in the idea of of shape right because there's a you you that's how you uh, uh that's how you uh uh put into uh, play your tactics is uh, is by playing uh, a, a certain shape, um, and um, and the principles of play then are you know I think the more the more uh, specific examples of what you, what you want your team to do in certain situations at all times. If this yeah. happens, you do yep. this yep. right. And we that's talked so, a lot so, about automatisms. We yep. talked a lot about automatisms at the beginning of the year. Um, no matter what's happening. If you see your teammate in this situation, this is how you react, right? So that is a principle of play. Uh, I think of a, a, a one that is a good example. I remember, geez, last year listening to Greg Berhalter's U.S. Soccer podcast with Bobby where they, they talked about this a little bit. One of their key defining characteristics is if a player in front of you, so like if you are facing your opponent's goal and you're a, you're, your teammate in front of you that you pass to or, or someone else's passes to, has pressure coming to their their back, you come to them. You come to them to give them an outlet. Yep. This is this has nothing to do with vertical shape, horizontal shape, how I am aligned with my teammates, any of that shit. It's like I saw my teammate receive the ball with a player coming to his back. I come to him to give him a release. Not every team does that, but this is a prime uh, uh, principle of play for the U.S. Men's National Team under Burhalter is that they give them that immediate one-touch pass back to release the pressure. So, necessary. and this is that's just uh, an example, a, but I mean that's something that happens. Your your example was a good uh, example of 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 sort of why have a game model at all, right? The whole purpose of having a game model is to simplify uh, the game. It's to it's to make sure that that everybody's on the same page. So it's communication. It's uh, it's simplification. It's uh, it's it's making sure that that. All uh, that everybody is on the same page. That everybody has a shared set of of priorities, of values, of objectives, and a shared way of achieving those things. Yeah, exactly. 
So thanks for stopping that because I did I did forget to, to go a little bit more clearly into what principles of play mean. Okay, so those are the first two parts of a game model. You're sort of setting the ideals of what you want to do on the field, what your identity is, how you want to how you generally want to look uh, on the field. Then we get into phases of play. So um, phases of play, we've discussed this before on the podcast, and we really only talked about the four primary phases of play. Part of that was not to get too far into the weeds about how phases of play work. So we talked about uh, possession or attacking, defending, i.e. without the ball, and then the transition between those two phases, transitioning from attacking to defense, uh, transitioning from defense to attacking. Those are the four key areas. You've heard Jose Mourinho talk about this before uh, uh, in, in, in interviews. That's what most people def- define as the four kind of phases of play. The reality are there are actually really 10 phases of play because we're, we're overlooking some areas, right? Some of it is um, related to those phases. Some of it is some additional ones that we're not talking about, like set pieces. So um, first of all, in possession, you generally have three underlying phases within possession. Um, one of them is called buildup, or sometimes it's called pressured progression, where you have the ball in your in your defensive third, and you are trying to move it past the first line of defense. And when I say the first line of defense, almost every soccer team, I say almost because some do it just slightly differently, but almost every soccer team has three lines in both uh, three horizontal lines of player positioning in both attacking and defense. And yes, sometimes dependent on where uh, opponent players are and what's going on with the ball, you'll see them sort of move in between those lines. But the reality is, is typically you're setting up in a, in a defensive line. So for example, Sporting Kansas City is typically in either a 4-5-1 or a 4-4-2 defensively, high block, low block, whatever. We'll get into those out of possession positions in a second. So you've got you've got a a line that is potentially pressuring your back line. You're trying to break in between that first and second line of defense. That's your whole point of the buildup phase, or the pressured progression phase, as sometimes it's called. You're trying to break that pressure and get into get into a position higher up the field where you have surpassed that first line of confrontation from the defending team. Then you have the progression shape, which is trying to take the ball from there to the opponent's defensive third. So it's and the middle third. That can't. That's where the progression. Yeah, the middle third of the field. A, yep. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. You that's maybe the simpler way to describe it. You've got the three phases of progression. You're in your own third. You're mm-hmm. in your own defensive third. You're in the middle third. You're in the opponent's defensive third. Those are the three phases of progression. We're called build-up progression and creation. They can be called pressure progression. Um, what do they call it? Uh, organized progression. There's a, there's a there's a, a a bunch of different sort of um, different names for it. But the reality is, yeah, the reality is the three phases of possession are: you're in your defensive third, you're in the middle third, you're in your opponent's defensive third, or your attacking third. Similarly, out of possession, exactly the same thing. High block, low block, mid block, high block, you're defending while the ball is in the opponent's defensive third. You've got your line high. You're trying to do something to generally like Sporting Kansas City, trying to counter press and create a turnover in that situation. You're mid block. You're managing defending within the middle third of the field. Low block, you're defending in your own defensive third. 
very similarly. So that's six of the actual 10 phases of the game. Then we've got transition defending, which you uh, transition attacking or defending, which we've discussed before. You're transitioning from attack to defense or from defense to attack. And then the last two are set pieces. And this is one that people don't really talk about a lot in the phases of play, but are quite important, especially if you're a fan of Sporting Kansas City. So, so I would, I would amend, yeah, I would amend set pieces to just say I, I call them like just dead ball opportunities, right? So, so because because that that includes things like uh, goal kicks and that includes throw-ins. Um, so yeah, I just I just do them under a dead you can ball get free kicks from. in the middle yep. third of the field. Yep. There's there's sure. a variety of situations. So, so yeah, so set pieces is probably you're right. That's probably two dead ball situations, either in possession or out of possession. Mm-hmm. Dead ball situations are are the other phases of the game, and, th- and there can be a lot of nuance and difference in philosophy and organizational structure in all of those that we could break apart into multiple different pieces, into more more phases of the game that are that are very strictly coached. The reason that I describe all of those is to get you is to for all of you to understand that when you manage a professional soccer team at MLS level at shit, you can be the Eredivisie, you can be in fucking Turkey, you can be in anywhere. When you manage a professional soccer team, you are building structures for every single one of those phases of play and a bunch of interdependent ones underneath that. Um, And so it's not just as simple as here's my formation. Here's what I want to do. Go do it. Yeah. I think sometimes we think that's what's happening. I promise you that Peter Vermees is not doing that. No. And that while we tear our hair out about why they do the things they do, sometimes there is a very well-defined thought process related to their identity and their style of play and their personnel that caused them to do certain things in each one of these phases of play. So let's um, let's uh, so let it, let's talk for let's talk for a little bit about um, about the how Sporting Kansas City applies their game model, and uh, specifically, you know, let's let's talk about um, in in their build out phase, right? So if if so so part of the game model is uh, is that. Um, the team prioritizes playing out of the back, right? So the ball, the ball, they don't just launch the ball uh, from uh, from a goal kick to to midfield or further. Generally speaking, uh, so generally speaking, they prioritize playing the ball out of the back, which means the ball is going to be played on the on the on the ground um, in, you know, during a goal kick or or another dead ball type of situation. And, and so now we get into, so we set the, we set the, uh, um, we set our objective, right? That's, that's part of our game model. And then the way that we, uh, the way that we enact that is by focusing on our principles of play. And so, so one of those principles is, is playing out of pressure. So that means that you, um, that means that the, you have to have players who are um, even who are defenders, especially who are defenders who are comfortable uh, um, uh, playing when the other team is uh, applying pressure to them. Uh, and for Sporting Kansas City, the way one of the ways that they um, that they uh, um, take care of that is 
they split their center backs wide oftentimes. Um, they advance their fullbacks uh, down the field. Um, and so right there you have like a staggered um, you have staggered lines so that if you if 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 the goalkeeper can't play the um, uh, the first line, which would be the the, the wide center backs, then the, the goalkeeper can play down the sideline to one of the fullbacks or uh, or to the to the defensive midfielder who's also sort of occupying that uh, horizontal line, but in the middle of the field. But. But what's interesting about that is you see them. So the, the center backs will immediately on a goal kick, they'll immediately spread wide to the sort of the edge of the six is kind of where they mm-hmm. align themselves. Right. And so they'll go for, or excuse me, sometimes the edge of the 18, but they'll go extremely wide and then the fullbacks will push up and they'll they'll look for that sort of wide growth area. But they'll also as soon as the opponent and this is what i'm talking about there's dependencies related to these things that are in the principles of play as well as the structure of each one of these build out uh, each one of these possession phases if the defenders start to push their pressure out to those edges st louis is a prime example of this because they really try to pressure wide and push people against the end line that is exactly when you will see the defensive midfielder drop back and pull right into that area right on the top of the d and that's exactly that, that that's designed right like, right Right. That is one of those principles of play. If I see this, I drop back here as a defensive midfielder to give an outlet through the middle. And I think that's the part that uh, that from their build out phase that is sometimes overlooked is that, yes, they try to play through wide, but they also have a contingency plan to relieve pressure through the center if the if everything's pushed out to those sides. Right. Well, and they have they have the uh, the eights pushed even higher, which uh, which creates space. But then that that space is also um that the the eights can exploit that by by checking back into that space if uh if other uh options aren't available and so like the whole thing becomes like like a a giant sort of flow chart you know if this happens then this right um or if this doesn't happen then this then this happens and so uh, and and the whole point of having those principles of play as i referenced earlier is to is to take the burden of of um of sort of uh making those decisions uh on the fly off of the player right and the more that you can uh that you can um make those automatic the quicker that they that players can play and um and the quicker teams are better teams like the 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 faster that you can do the things that are in your game model the better your team is going to be and that's like the that's actually the the progression as you go even for little kids as they go from like rec soccer to to like travel soccer to you know uh you know ecnl to academy soccer whatever like it's just it's the same it's the same basic game at every one of those things it's just played uh uh um, faster at every step and so you know the that's why the international soccer is uh, a, a next level above is because it it's played at a at a speed that is way faster even than uh prof- professional leagues so you mentioned um the speed of play being a uh a prime sort of descriptor of how well the game model is working. And again, when you see, you know, the best leagues in the world, you can, you can notice, you notice the difference between MLS and you go watch, especially we watched the premier league this weekend and they're all at tip top shape. So yeah. they're playing extremely fast. Uh, I don't that's, think the premier league... uh, well, that's, and that's the premier league's thing, right? I mean, that's, it is the, the fastest league. 
It is for sure. But also they're playing at their maximum speed because yeah. they're not in their 45th game in the middle of, <laughs> of April. Right. Uh-huh. They're, they're all, they're all in tip top shape. But I think that that's always the, the, the most shocking thing to me is I've, I've, I've been watching MLS all summer. And in this case, watching a women's world cup and then you go into the premier league and you just see how fast the ball moves. But it reminded me of something about how when your game model is working effectively, how fast the ball can move. If mm-hmm. everybody's in the right place at the right time, yep. the ball can move that quickly. And that reminded me of the Sporting Kansas City match versus Chivas. Mm-hmm. Chivas desperately tried to press Sporting. And Sporting just ping-ponged the ball around their press yeah. like it didn't even exist because their positioning was so good, because they were playing off their opponents so well, because they were following their game model so succinctly that, and it was just one touch passing. And you saw after a while how frustrated Chivas got with their inability to do anything with their pressure. And then they basically just stopped. They just stopped trying. And, And that is the impact that you can have on your opponent when you are executing your game model at a high level. And I think that's why you and I watching the game were like, holy shit, this is like the best I've ever seen this team look because yeah. they were so, so in tune with each other. And <laughs> candidly, MLS teams aren't always that in tune with each other for an entire game like that. But, but that uh, I will say, and it's a completely different game model and a, a different system and style of play, um, but uh, Nashville was on that last night, uh, Nashville, uh, they play great. They play, they play great. great. And you know, they don't play at all like sporting Kansas city. Uh, but they, they, within their game model, they performed at a super high level. And when, um, you know, they invited, uh, they invited Monterey to attack them because they, they play against the ball. They, they don't necessarily have to have the ball, uh, to, to affect the game. And when they won the ball, it was like magically, uh, Hani Mukhtar would be, completely alone and and uh making a run and they would find him like every time and that's the, like those that those things don't happen by accident right that's part of the game model that's part of the way that um the that um that nashville want to play and they executed at a super high level last night it was really impressive and they executed at that level fairly often to be candid yeah. like yeah, they're they're, they're extremely seemed good against monterey i mean that you know i think that that was a little extra special for me um, there's, this is a whole sidebar, but there's a different world in which, uh, Sporting Kansas City trades for Walker Zimmerman in 2019. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I so, mean, so just, just, uh, um, well, he was, was so about, good against Monterey, dude. He was right, so he good was. at that game. Uh, just real quick, like, like that Monterey is actually a good, uh, a, another good example of a team that's kind of switched game models. Um, and so Monterey used to play a more uh, uh, transition sort of LAFC style attacking game or uh, uh, more of a counterattacking um, transition game. Um, and, you know, they uh, they have been drifting uh, more towards a, uh, a possession oriented game. And and um, Nashville used that against them uh, big time. And that's what you know, that's what that's what Nashville's game model is designed to do. I don't want Sporting Kansas City to have to play Nashville right now. They get they probably get boat raced. Honestly, yeah. Nashville's I mean, scary. not just not just Hani Mutar, who's obviously, and in my opinion, he's probably MVP again. Mm-hmm. But also, the Sam Surridge appears to be like a really good center yeah, forward. Real, so, like, 
and and I think that this is again we go, we go back to this, this is where the frustration comes in for a lot of sporting Kansas City fans. You have a, you have a team like Nashville who's at the top of the Eastern Conference, not the top top, but they're in the top couple. Were they second in the Eastern Conference? And they go sign a DP center forward to add yeah. to what yeah. they have, and I can understand the frustration. Like, and they look even better now. And the surge scored an, uh, uh, a DP level center forward goal in that game yeah. to sort of ice it. And yeah, it was. And and uh, that that game impressive. model is uh, is much more adept at incorporating, uh, you know, uh, affordable MLS level players. Um, Dax McCarty plays defensive midfield for that team still, and he's like my age. <laughs> <laughs> he's not quite that old. <laughs> I know you wish you were in your thirties, Cody, but you are not. <laughs> Do I ever? Do I ever? Um, yeah, uh, and so um, you know the the part of the thing is that Nashville. Part of the reason we wouldn't want to play Nashville is that Nashville is a very good team. Uh, uh, but the other thing is that is that their um, their style of play, their game model does not match up well it's a in our terrible it's matchup not, it's not in sporting. our favor is what i'm trying to say right it's, if they're executing uh, at the level they did uh, against monterey we're gonna get boat raced like yeah, it's I just mean, i'm sorry monterey is a much better team than we are and they yep. play a similar system and well no they play they're, they're 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 playing sort of that possession style system and they have a lot better players than we do yep. and uh and and yep. nashville sort of dominated them now the one thing i will say is monterey is playing you know, on short rest after multiple games of short rest, all in the United States, all in the United States summer. And they're not, they have no home field advantage. So there's, there's a lot of caveats related to that, but Nashville played, they executed their system extremely well. And I think that's the, that the point that we're trying to make by discussing this is that they have a game model that's completely different than sportings. And the, you, if you execute it effectively, it can still be extremely good. You don't have to be the best possession team on earth. You don't have to be the Spain women's national team, right? You can be Japan. You can be Australia. Australia against England, with the exception of a couple really bad defensive mistakes, sh- probably should have been in that. Probably should have been in that game a lot more than they were at the end. Um, via a much different game model than what uh the the u.s women's national team employ or what i mean it's more of a counter-attacking thing but also more of a a long ball to the middle win second balls kind of delivery situation and again that's what i'm saying is that there's the whole you know cliche there's more than one way to skin the cat there absolutely is when it comes to soccer and um it comes from you get to the place where your team looks like the way it does because of all the things that we just discussed um, the last thing that is really important when it comes to establishing your game model is what are we trying to achieve? What is our goal with each piece of the game model, right? What are you trying to make happen? And when you do that, like, are you able to clearly articulate to your players, hey, when you do this, we're trying to get this so that they understand and buy in and participate in it. Um, I've seen a lot of teams. The U.S. Women's National Team in this World Cup is probably the prime, most clear example recently that I've seen of it that had an extremely clear game model with a bunch of players that weren't really sure why they were doing it. Right? They did what they were told, but they didn't seem to understand why they didn't seem to understand how to employ it in a positive way 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And so player buy-in, the psychology of this is a huge part of it. Yep. Like when you develop your game model and what you want to accomplish, being able to clearly articulate it to your players so that they're like, yeah, I get it. I want to do this is extremely important. What am I trying to do? So Sporting Kansas City, let's, let's use this example because we talk about it all the time. High quality turnovers are what Sporting Kansas City is generally trying. Uh, there's two things they're trying to do. They're trying to build out from the back and create gravity with the ball to overload and then create um, opportunities on the opposite side of the field. They do that a lot. The other thing they do is counter press the fuck out of people. They're there. When we talk about the transition from attack to defending, their immediate goal, as soon as they transition from attack to offending, is to try to win the ball back immediately. When, that's when, what they want to do. When we talk about uh, positional play, that's that the two goals of, of positional play are creating an extra an extra man an overload uh, uh, in attack and it, and making sure the team is uh, is set up in the right position to counter press. That's the whole right. reason. That's the whole reason to do it. Yeah, and so in their model, those are very clear. Uh, you know, defined goals of what they're trying to accomplish. And the team is bought into it. And you can see when they successfully complete those goals, what it looks like. It looks attractive. It's fun. Yeah. It's really good, clean, like uh, high quality soccer. Um, it's just, it's aesthetically pleasing soccer, right? It's absolutely. not, it's not, it's not like, you know, Jose Mourinho ball where you're just like, you're in a block, you're part the, you've parked the bus and you're just relying, uh, you're just waiting for the other team to make a mistake. Uh, that's not what, that's not what the sporting wants to do. Or Sweden, the Swedish women's national right. team. <laughs> yeah. Just like this really, like you have all these really high quality players and you're just like waiting for them to actually do something. Um, that's yeah. not what sporting does. And, you know, you can be frustrated with the fact that they aren't executing it at the level that you want to. But again, I watched Tottenham for the last several years and I, I'll take sporting sucking ass at at least trying to play soccer, to be completely honest, over yeah. um, sucking ass, watch like just watch them stand around most of the time um, and be so conservative uh, or the women's national team. Jeez, the the the, the, the like. They're so concerned about their rest defensive posture. Like you think sporting's concerned about rest defense. Holy shit. Yeah. Watch the women's national team. There's never numbers forward ever. Um, it's just such a conservative game model. I just don't like it. But anyway, those are differences in game models, right? Um, one of the things that um, we talk about a lot is pressure and counter pressure. There's, there's reasons for it. There's a significant reason for why sporting uses pressure and counter pressure. It's to keep their center backs from having to defend people. Like, yeah. that's the whole point. Like, they employ center backs that are much more useful in possession than they are in defense. Um, it's just a philosophy that they have. It's part of their game model. So as a result, pressure and counter pressure becomes extremely important because you don't want your center backs in transition defending situations. You see what happens to sporting when they get in them. They struggle because they've specifically built their roster for this game model, which is having having um, defenders who are much better in um, in possession and in counter pressure. Look at how much um, Andre Fanta steps forward when the ball tries to come. Like they counter press their center backs like 
there's not all there aren't a whole lot of teams that do this, but they absolutely counterpress with their center backs. You'll see Fonta yep. step forward, you'll see Rosero step forward, and this is where a lot of like the hands thrown up in the air happen on uh, when people watch this team because if they miss, you you know what happens. Yeah, off to the races, <laughs> <laughs> and and they're just not really good at defending one on one in space. So that that is a problem. But there's there's a reason why that happens. Because that is the game model. That is what the team is attempting to accomplish. And I, the bet is that you're going to win enough of those that the, that over you know multiple games you're going to win more games than you're going to lose playing this way. And I, I'm not I'm not debating the validity of their game model. I'm just trying to sort of explain why it is the way it is. Yeah, I think so. So I think the interesting thing. One of the things that always interests me about Sporting Kansas City is that uh, their game model, uh, as we've as we said, is predicated on on possessing the ball, and and so it it, it always interests me to um, like examine what's happening um, when they're not allowed to do that. Like so, um, you know, when when. Uh, when another team is possessing the ball, how how does Sporting um, set up? And I'm not talking during buildup. I'm talking about when you know when Sporting is forced to play in their own defensive third. Um, you know, I think I think uh, um, I think people should really pay close attention to how that team looks compared to how uh, other teams look, and they look very uncomfortable in their defensive third. Um, they do, but I'm not necessarily as concerned about Sporting in their low block phase. That's not where I'm worried as worried about right. them. Yeah. Um, in a set piece situation in their defensive third, I'm concerned. But um, when they're in, when they're organized in their low block phase, the main reason I say this is because Daniel Shallow is a really good defensive winger, so they mm -hmm. have an extra defender in that perspective. And um, Jake Davis is a really good one on one defender when he is solid when he is in his space. So I think when they're in their actual when they're organized in their low block, I'm not as concerned about it unless it's like the last 15 minutes of a game that they're trying to close out. And as we've seen, that is a problem for them. When yeah. when the opponent really starts getting aggressive trying to come back, that's when they struggle and that's because their game model isn't to defend. <laughs> Right. It's not that defending yeah, in a low that, block. Well, that's, right. That's kind of my It's not part of what they're it, trying to absolutely. do. Yeah. And 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 the thing is is that is that um is that they can be at a at a, at a serious um disadvantage if they can't regain uh possession and uh, especially it might just be, you know, recency bias, but it seems like this season specifically like sometimes they've had a hard time doing that, right? Like uh and that's kind of why they have had some difficulty holding on to leads is that um, is that when uh, when another team tries to be on the front foot and attack and uh, by possessing the ball, um, if Sporting don't have a lot of like ball winners on their team, like uh, people who take the ball away from the other team, um, um, and so uh, and so they can wind up just sort of chasing and uh, and not being able to regain possession and and um, and then and then when they do um, regain possession, um, they 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 have a problem keeping it and and so it it becomes one of those things where um, if you you know if you can't exercise control over the game when it matters when you have to um, your game model might be flawed. Well, and I think that's that's the part that I, I was going to allude to is that um, the adjustments to the game model given game state, I think, are the one of the areas I would say that I am concerned with is like what the philosophy is at that point. 
if you're up one goal with 15 minutes left in the match, how you're adjusting your game model at that time is a concern for me with sporting. And so let's let's move into that. So like we've, we've discussed some of these already, but what do we like and dislike about how sporting Kansas City's model is created? Let's go into the likes first before we get negative Nancy and get all Walder and uh, Stadler, Stadler and Waldorf <laughs> about the situation. Um, likes. I love the way that they counterpress defending transition aggressively. Um, and I, as much as I know people get upset about um, giving odd man goal situations in some circumstances, I actually think it's the right move to have one of your center backs aggressively counterpress if they get if they get to the second line or if they get I don't think it is in Sporting Kansas City's interests to be running backwards um trying to cover defender trying to cover attackers ever. So sending one center defender forward to a- attempt to stop that from happening, I think is actually the right choice to make given what their game model is. Now if he whiffs, and it happens with Fontas and Rosero, or Rosero cleans somebody out and gets yellow carded, and you know, I mean, there's there's a variety of issues that come along with it. But the way that this game model is set up and the personnel is set up, that's the right choice to make, in my opinion. So I absolutely like the way that they counter press and they aggressively counter press to keep the ball in their opponent's half. I think that that's a really good thing that they, and they're actually extremely good at it. They're like really good at it. Um, I've got this in the notes. The way that they manage their cover shadows under pressure, especially in counter pressure, is really mm-hmm. good. That that, yep. that that's what allows them to turn the ball over, or at the very least, stop the counterattack from happening. Yep. Um, and they're very good at that because of the way that they they their 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 cover shadows are good enough that they, at the very least they're kicking the ball out of bounds or they're fouling the guy that's trying to pass. Um, and then their rest defensive positioning especially in the opponent's half is extremely good. Yep. Um, and so all I, of those things are, are, are things that I enjoy about how their structure is set up. I mean, I, I think honestly, um, they are their build out phase. I, I like the way that they do that. They are successful at it. They are good at it. Um, it's very hard for teams, um, um, to successfully press them. Um, St. Louis uh, isn't scoring St. Louis goals against Sporting. No, no, they're not. Um, I uh, I like the way that they handle things in uh, in that progressive um, area of the field in the in the middle third. They're really good at progressing the ball. Um, they uh, they have they have uh, number eights who uh, can dribble um, and pass um, and uh, and it's 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 very it's very easy for this team to get the ball into another team's attack, uh, defensive third, uh, sp- compared to most other teams. Um, and I like that. Um, it's just my, my, my big issue with them. Um, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, also, uh, uh, on the, on the counter pressing and the, and the concerns about transition defense, but you know, my, my other concern is, um, is what happens in the attacking third and uh, and their ability to cons- consistently create uh, goal scoring opportunities. Uh, I don't think that it's good enough, um, honestly, and um, I don't think that uh, it's definitely not uh, consistent enough. Um, and you know, I think some of that is they seem disconnected in their movement in the final third, which is yeah. weird. Which is weird because 
in a positional play sort of uh, ball possession kind of system, you would think that you'd have some pretty clear rotational yeah. sort yeah. of activities that would be part of. So when, when we talked about the, the 10 phases of play, there's another part of this where you've got like four questions that you need to be able to answer in every phase. And when sporting is in possession in the creation phase or in the uh, opponent's defensive third, you should have four questions you're trying to answer. And one of them is how are you disorganizing their back line? Yeah. And I don't feel like that's something sporting successfully does yeah. as often as we'd like. They're just not, um, they don't seem to have a clear idea of what it just seems to be a whole lot of YOLO happening. Yeah. yeah. And um, that is a problem. And when you compare it to some of the best teams in the league, even like Nashville's not always in a transition event. Sometimes they are in a creative possession phase in the opponent's final third. And they have to, the, I saw Hani Mukhtar flare out and I saw them rotate the ball around a little bit. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like I, I there's some ideas. There's some like yeah. specific um, philosophies that they're employing in that circumstance. And um, sporting doesn't seem to have enough of them. In my opinion, yeah. they have some, but when they're taken away by a team that watches tape really well, yeah, they tend to they tend to um, just sort of throw their hands up and recycle it backwards. So, so a couple of things. So, so um, attacking soccer is to me always sort of reduced in in its simplest form to you know how do you create space and then how do you take advantage of that space and sporting is not. Uh, good at, at at creating space in, uh, in against a low case. block. They're absolutely right. not uh, right. I mean, against I mean, and, and, in transition. You know, they're pretty decent at it, but against right, right. a low that's, block, they're not very I mean. good just, at all at it. Just in the just in the uh, um, just in the attacking third, um, and specifically, like you said, against a low block. Um, so uh, that's problematic. And then you know, one of the things that really bugs me is uh, is the reluctance of Sporting Kansas City to really truly commit numbers to attack, and uh, and that means people in the box. And and you know, there are times like there were times last night that Nashville, even when they were up, were throwing like like lots of players, like six, seven players in the box. Um, in in a in an attacking phase, um, and um, you know th those are those are things that overwhelm player uh, uh, defenses, right? If you have to account for that many players, um, it's a problem, and uh, and and you will see uh, teams that are teams that score uh, goals, right? A lot of goals, especially uh, most of them have sort of you know that element to their game where uh, where they are are uh, overwhelming. Uh, the the opposing defense uh, usually uh, you know it's it's a lot easier to do in transition definitely and I think that that you know when when Nashville does it sometimes it's like a jailbreak thing and uh, I don't know what the trigger is but it's like everybody goes right and you know you leave yourself open it's a gamble a little bit uh, but it's uh, it, it also has I think the 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 ability to really disrupt defenses and and um you know you it, it's rare that sporting has more than you know three players in in the box and usually it's more like one or two yeah i, I think it's personnel related which is weird because that gets outside of the game model at that point it's more like individual stuff so some players do get aggressive about entering the box and others don't and that's one of the well, things so that's been most confounding to me about this team because 
it seems like it's not a game model issue to me because I've heard Vermes complain that, but that about is, the but fact that, that is they a game model. I mean, I mean, personnel is part of the game model, and if and if you, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, I if. if your but game you know what model. I'm saying, right? Like yes, the I game totally model. Get what you're the saying. game model. The game model is is this is how you play soccer, right? And I, I get that different personnel have different capabilities and different um, ways about going to do things, right? And they're naturally going to have those, and you don't want to be so prescriptive that you're taking away their individuality, right? right. And that that's that's we get into the psychology part of this, which is a whole different part of managing, but. Um, my, my the point that I was making is is that the players that feel more comfortable seem to be more aggressive at times, and the players that feel less comfortable are less aggressive because they're trying not to make mistakes. And yeah. I think that that's a separate conversation related to not necessarily game model, but the the way that you're managing players within it. Um, and it well, also and, and goes also back. Players, it goes back the to players the, that you're signing too. I mean, well, but it, but it goes back to the whole thing where. Um, you only trust certain players with certain levels of experience to yeah. execute the game model yeah. at the level that you want to. And I think that that is more of an issue that I have. I mean, there's a couple of things that I'm that I that I, you know, if I were to change, I would like to change. One is they don't have kill patterns inside the 18. There are not very clear defined runs that players are making Yeah. that like, hey, we're going to disorganize them this way. And hey, if this one's not available, this is what we do. It's much like Andy Reid calling a play like. Inside the 18, when you have your and, and sporting run, runs a pretty fucking high line when they have the ball mm -hmm. uh, in, in the opponent's defensive third. OK, they have a pretty high line, so they have numbers compressed forward. When you have that, how are you rotating those players effectively to create a kill pattern to get the ball into an advanced position where you are going, you're shooting at a, at a undefended goalkeeper or you are running at the back line? Like, what are you doing to create that situation? I don't know that I see a whole lot of that other than these guys are good. They'll figure it out. It's very much the Jose Mourinho kind of Antonio Conte thing that I get really frustrated with. It's like when they're in that position, they don't have defined philosophies for getting the ball into a place where they can score. And that's frustrating to me for a team that wants to control the ball. Yeah. <laughs> like how well, can you not have that? I, I complain incessantly about a, a lack of post runs, near post runs, far post runs. And like to me as a coach, um, like those are that's like soccer 101. That's like basic stuff. Like if you have a player driving down uh, the wing, um, you absolutely have to have players framing the goal. Right. And framing the goal means, you know, a player, an attacking player uh, responsible for each post and one in the middle of the field. And that's like um uh, in the middle, I mean, like at the six, right in front of goal. But that's that's soccer one hundred and one, and and very rarely do you see Sporting have that kind of uh, you know that kind of setup. Um, Shows know, in their set in, pieces in too. Like they they, yeah. they they have the yeah. same problem on set pieces. But the other issue is when they when they regain the ball via their counter press, which is very good, they don't aggressively attack the goal either. Yeah. They, they they're they're much more methodical about yeah. moving back into that phase, which is the creation phase where mm -hmm. you're in the opponent's third, but then they don't have the kill patterns. So like it's like this, yeah. 
you know what i mean like yeah it, i know exactly I, the, what you mean both both of those but, things the, like they don't there there's if you don't have the aggressive kill patterns then wouldn't you when you counter press and aggressively win the ball back go, go right immediately to goal, to goal? Yeah. and I, yeah. I do think that the team was much better about that when uh dom dwyer was on the team i mean he scored a lot of goals like that uh where you know, you win the ball off, uh, and then, he, you know, well, find, and a lot of that was second balls. It wasn't really counter pressure. It was more like long yeah. ball, second ball winning and then send him. But I, but he was very good at helping create a second ball that then the midfielders could run on to and then send him through. Right. I, I, but I, I just but, go ahead. I was just going to say you're right. And that uh, that's that's part of the idea. You, you don't counter press just or or I, I think we would say you shouldn't counter press just to win the ball back. You should counter press to, to win the ball back and then have the ball when, when the defense is in a transitional phase and, and you can take advantage of that. Um, and that's why, you know, we have for multiple seasons pleaded for the team to be more direct in the, in the way that they attacked. And that's kind of what we mean is like when you win the ball, go, go to goal uh, and, and do it quickly because that's when uh, defenses are vulnerable. So if, yeah, it, it's not that we have a problem with a overload creating ball ball weight movement kind of philosophy in the final third in possession. If you want to be possession ball and just move the ball around until you create an opening, fine. But they're not really successful at that. No. So when you, that that's, I think the, the point that, that we're making is, because they're not consistently successful at it, you have to have a tweak to the philosophy where, okay, we don't have to change things that significantly, but we do need to create goals. And um, especially given the fact that this team is not that successful at maintaining leads. So we need to create a lot of goals. Yeah, We have yeah. to get up four to one to sort of get them into a mindset where like, I can't fucking win at this point because that's the, that's the way that we, we end up holding on to games. One goal leads are not something this team is very good at maintaining. And part of it is the game model. And yeah. so therefore you need to be much more aggressive about goal scoring. IA Anj Potastoglu at, at uh, Tottenham's is like, he doesn't give a shit. If we give up three, he's going to score five, right? Like yep. that's his philosophy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying sporting should adopt that whole philosophy, but I'm saying that there should be more aggressive attempts at goal um, as well as the other thing that I have a problem with is that I don't feel like may, and this is maybe a personnel problem. It's certainly a problem when Walter is on the field, when center backs step up to counter press because it's about to cross the second line, there's no rotational defending happening. There's a whole lot of people caught in space when that yeah. happens. If, if that, um, pressure valve breaks, they're fucked. And, and that 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 shouldn't be the case. You should at least have some people understanding that I have to transitionally defend when this guy steps forward to try and press the back of this guy as he receives it. If he loses, what happens? Right. And there's just they just react too late to those situations. So so one of the things that really frustrates me is that these are not new problems. They're not new problems for Sporting Kansas City and, and they're not new problems for a team that sort of plays this style, like this formation, this style, uh, this game model. Um, if you look at at at, you know, uh, especially Manchester City of a few years ago, um, they they encountered this problem a lot. Um, Adam and, Hotspur fucking gutted them on yep, the counterattack yep. over and, and over again. 
and and that's why um and and that i i might be mistaken but i think that that that, that happened during that transition from fernandinho to rodri um yep. when when they were without that player for uh, for a little bit and uh, that's why that's that's why we say that the number six is so important in the system is that that's the player who's responsible for for shutting down those counterattacks and whether that's you know by interceptions or 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 uh, uh, winning the ball through tackles or just freaking fouling people you know I mean that's um, you know uh, Fernandinho is, was a a master at that he would just like foul people I don't know how I mean he was he was like uh, you know. Uh, Kyle Beckerman or something. He just fouled people all the freaking there's time. A, there's never a whole got... other part of this game model about not tactical fouling that we haven't yeah. even discussed. Like, yeah, the, the, really like this annoying. team doesn't tactical foul enough. I, I, especially given how high they play, they should be really yeah. good at adept at tactical fouling, and they just don't. Yeah, and they give up yellow cards way too often doing it. Yeah. And I just like there's a way to just pull the guy where you don't get a yellow card MLS. There's so many defenders in him, especially defensive midfielders in MLS. Diego Chara has been making it, doing this for years, getting because, away with tactical fouling. That's because Chara is always, he's always playing the ball, right? Like I, I quotation mm-hmm. marks played the ball. Like, like you have to appear like you're actually like trying to win the ball. And if you do that and then have a big smile on your face and, you know, help the other guy up and the rest are less likely to, you know, to book you. It's just yeah. the way it is. That's why he's, some, a, he's some, a master. There's some game playing that the team yeah. just doesn't do. Yeah. Um, that is that is a separate issue. But I don't, I don't want this to be all dislikes and things that we're that we're upset about. I just want I, I also want we to talked say that, a lot like, about about things we liked. I think I think yeah, we've, we've been pretty even handed. I don't I don't think that it's bad. I just think that we see things that could be handled a little bit better, especially given the personnel that the team has to employ, and there are things that can be improved. Um, and I'm not saying that sport that Peter Vermees and staff aren't trying to improve them or that they, they don't already have those, uh, principles in place and they're just not being executed. That could be a thing as well. I, I, I'm not in that coaching room. I'm not in those staff meetings. I have no idea, um, if there are things there that are meant to be happening that aren't, but the fact that they aren't happening with the level of consistency that we see leads me to believe that it's a, either a structural problem or it's a personnel problem. It's one of two things. It's either, mm-hmm. either or. Oh, it can and, be both. And they keep, well, it could be both. It absolutely could be both. And the fact of the matter is they've re-signed a lot of the people responsible for these structural problems. Um, so I'm, yeah, there, there's some, there's a raised eyebrow related to that, that I think we should all are, are realistic, realistically, you know, um, it's okay for us to have those 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 thoughts about it. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed our exceptionally nerdy discussion about game models. Um, as you know, Cody and I uh, really like to get into the weeds when it comes to this stuff. I hope that it was helpful as far as understanding. Like, I'll say, and too, I think. Uh, go ahead. I I just want to say, like, if you if 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 you're a kind of person who who likes this stuff, uh, I recommend that you uh, get into coaching. It's really easy to get into coaching. Uh, you can you can do it as a volunteer and uh, and 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 do it at the recreational level to get a feel for it. But 
Um, that's where you, I mean, you, you have to put to be any kind of, you know, good coach, you have to put these things into, uh, into play and, and, uh, and practice doing them. And honestly, it's a lot of fun and you get to, you know, you get to work with kids and enrich people's lives. Uh, and so I highly recommend, um, that, uh, that anybody who's into this stuff, uh, give it a shot. I think that that was that's a good thing to bring up is that also it gives you some perspective on what is involved mm-hmm. with all of these different things. And I think a lot of times, you know, we can be fans of the team and be upset about how certain things occur and not realize the 17 dominoes that occurred to, mm-hmm. to create that situation in the yeah. first place. And I think once you involve yourself in it a little bit, you get a, you get a different perspective on why certain things happen the way that they do. And, um, I'm not, I'm not giving people passes like, look, result, it's a results business. You have yep. to get results. And if you don't, then you're going to be out and you yep. should, and you should be, you should be criticized for not getting results. That said, it's a complicated situation that don't, isn't always as black and white as you won or you lost. And no. I think that that's the point that we're trying to make through all this. The other thing that I found fascinating when I was going through this whole thing with Bobby Warshaw, did you know, and this is a whole issue that I have with, with us soccer. Um, and, and the, the fact that it's all based on like buying coaching licenses. Did you know there are 10,000 USSF a licensed individuals? I'm surprised it's that much, honestly. I am too. That's I'm a like, lot of money. That's that's insane. Yeah. And and but the problem is it the problem in my opinion is it's like going to college and paying for a degree. It is. Like you could be a this is the thing is like you could be a C student and get a freaking A license and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, they've got an A license. Let's put them yeah. in let's put them in jobs." And we've seen how many people are not necessarily that adept at it that have those licenses. Jermaine Jones have, has an A license. Yeah. Well, oh my God. <laughs> don't tell me uh, Carly Lloyd has one. I don't want to even get into that conversation. But uh, she um, doesn't already. She will probably. <laughs> but I, I think that um, yeah, it's just it, it shows that, that this is my whole issue with the pay to play system. Well, not my whole issue. That's just one of my issues with the whole pay to play system. Is that if you've got eight grand to go get an A license? or 10 grand, whatever it is, you go get your C average and you have an A license and you go get a job somewhere as a coach. And as we've seen with NWSL, a bunch of those people are fucking shitheads. Yeah. They're not good coaches. Yep. And it's not helping um, youth players and even professional players be effective, you know, progress effectively. And it's, so it, it, I think, I think your the, point is valid. It perpetuates huh? the soccer as a, as a, as a rich people's uh, pastime uh, in this country, which I think is bad. Which is, and, and the people willing to pay for it and that want the control and want the, want it all for, for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. They're not really interested in actually the growth of the game. Yeah. They just want the power. And I think that's the problem that I'm, that, that I'm concerned with. So, Yeah. For sure. I think your I think your point is exceptionally good is like if this is stuff that you really like and are interested in, there's a national training center right in our freaking backyard. You can go get a low level USSF license and you don't even need it to coach like U nines or something like that, right? No. Um just go do it. Just go do it. Read some books and go do it. And it can absolutely be effective. 
Yep. Okay. We've gone pretty long tonight. So um, real quick, Leagues Cup Final, Miami-Nashville. Um, we talked a little bit about the discourse regarding Miami and how they were able to rebuild and whether they subverted rules or got a whole lot of help. I don't think that any of those things are true other than Jordi Alba being on a TAM deal. That one, I'm that, that's an eyebrow racer, but we'll see long term <laughs> if something goes sideways <laughs> for them in that regard. Um, the other thing I would say about that match is while Philly was terrible in transition defense in that game and also gave complete conceded complete control of the midfield. They're playing their four, four, two diamond and just totally just totally gave up the midfield. Like Jose Martinez was just like sitting back. I'm like, what, what is going on? Um, they also created a ton of chances and both Drake calendar, both was fantastic. And Miami, eviscerated them with every chance they got. I think, did Miami have a total of four shots on goal and scored four goals? I, think I, I don't know. <laughs> they had less They had less than one XG. And I actually tweeted at Paul Carr during this game just because I was like, when's the last time an MLS team had less than one XG and scored four goals? And it was the most um, symmetrical, like, statistical performance of all time. It actually happened just a couple months ago, and it was when Philly beat Miami four to one. It had That's less perfect. That is perfect. <laughs> it was like the symmetrical <laughs> profession of that whole situation. It's like that is regression to the mean. You just saw it happen. We're here. I'm sorry. I'm a nerd about math and statistics, and I, I love it. So it, it was it was pretty funny. I, Andre Blake, holy crap! Like I've never seen a game like that from him. Um, we discussed how much we like Nashville. I I think I. Do you think Nashville can beat Miami? Yeah. I do. I mean, um, Honey Mukhtar was robbed on that goal, right? Like, that VAR call was fucking terrible. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean... Do you think... I, hold I, on. I, I, didn't, this is I where, didn't think it was bad. So so this is the thing. This like I think this is where VAR um, is problematic. Because it... Because at a, in a slow motion sort of situation... It over intensifies the 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 effectiveness of a player. I mean, I mean, it it, it looked like he was right in front of the goalkeeper. So I mean, and blocking but he, the goalkeeper's but, line of sight to the ball. Uh, no, he saw the ball and he was already jumping for the ball by the time he was anywhere near the goalkeeper. I don't know. I I I thought that he got hosed on that situation, but. It was one of the best strikes I've seen in about, well, no, Linda Caicedo did it, uh, Columbia for Columbia did it against Germany, hit almost the exact same one, like dribbled two people and like bent it like that. Um, and hers, I was, uh, in a hotel in Christchurch doing laundry because that's what you do when you've been in New Zealand for two weeks. But, um, <laughs> it, it was, uh, watching that one. It was very similar, but I mean, it was a great goal by Mukhtar. I don't give a damn if it was called off. He, he's so good. He's really good. So I think uh, I th- I think uh, Miami can um, I think Nashville can win, uh, but I doubt that they will uh, because as good as Nashville's defense is, Miami has just shown that uh, you're going to have to score a lot of goals to beat them, and I don't I don't know that Nashville has that in them. Maybe they do, um, but uh, it really. I think success is predicated on 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 how well Nashville defend, and if they can hold, uh, if they can hold Miami to to one or two goals, then they have a a realistic shot. 
Yeah, I th- that may be true. I also think Inter Miami is vastly out, uh, vastly overperforming their underlying numbers right now. That's what, so that's what happens like when you have the best the player in the world. Yeah, but I mean, even Lionel Messi doesn't like over his career isn't overperforming them at a massive level, right? Like, I, the, 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 it all sort of evens out over time. The goal that he scored. Now, granted, Andre Blake got caught out of position on this goal. I don't know that this is this is the thing that I was thinking about while watching all of this. Lionel Messi is so good at soccer that not only is he making his teammates better because they're playing around the best soccer player on earth the last 20 years, in my opinion. Um, also, the people he's the teams he's playing in defense that are playing against that are defending him are going to get better as a result. Andre Blake is not used to have to used to have to watching for this ball. And like he perfectly placed it on the deck at speed, just inside the post from 35 yards. There's there's very few individuals on earth that can do this with any regularity. He's one of them. But that's my point is Andre Blake is not used to having to fend that shot. And I I, what I'm saying is, is I think that over the long term, this is going to be a boon for the quality of some of the play in MLS because they're having to deal with someone at his level and they're having to raise their game to deal with it. Um, and they're having to be a little bit more aware and a little bit more crisp. You talked about how fast the Premier League plays. Messi plays at that speed and even above it in a lot of yeah. circumstances. And I think it's going to be a good thing for not just Inter-Miami, but also the teams that play against him where they're going to have to be much more aware of how quickly the ball can move and where it could move next um, in order to deal with what he's doing. So I, I think, I think that there's some, some benefits to some of this stuff. I do not think he is going to score a 35 yarder on the deck inside the post against Nashville. I just don't see that happening the way that they defend. Um, but I also don't know if they're going to continue to overperform their XG at the level that they have during, um, during this tournament. The other thing that's funny about all this, I saw this quoted in an athletic article, um, because all this has been Leagues Cup, Inter-Miami is still dead last. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> so of all the things that have been great, they're still dead last <laughs> in the league. So, I, I mean, you know, we'll have to see. Maybe some folks make some adjustments um, more quickly. Like, they haven't won an MLS match since uh, the middle of May. Yeah, I uh, has has Messi even scored a goal in MLS? He's never played an MLS match. Yes, yeah, so that's what I was thinking. It's and it seems like the last month has been forever. You know, um, yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing that he's had this this much of an impact, quote unquote, on the league, and he hasn't even played a, a league game yet. Yeah. Um, so they don't play. They, oh, that'll be an interesting one. Their first league match is going to be against the Red Bulls. <laughs> that's a clash of game models right there <laughs> that is absolutely a clash of game models all right um and on that note i'm drew he's cody we will talk to y'all next week bye <laughs>